Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities, our shortcomings, those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm asking that you allow us to get deep into your word tonight because we need clear understanding as to what your word says and as to what we're up against. We know regardless of what we have to deal with in the coming days, Lord, that we have you. And if we have you for us, Lord, then it's more than the world against us. So, Lord, I'm asking that every lying spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, Lord, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of perversion, every spirit, Lord, that doesn't want this getting out. All spirits that came against members of this group and had people sick, that, that tried to deter people from actually making it here today, Lord, I'm asking that they be bound. Because we know that the enemy doesn't want this information out. But, Lord, we're going to be faithful and do your will. You said that we need to be not ignorant of Satan's devices, lest he get an advantage of us. So, Lord, we're going to expose it all today. And if there's more information that can come out beyond what we have researched, Lord, we know that you'll be faithful and true to give it to us. For you are a righteous king and Lord of lords, uh, the only true God, worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so. I have to admit, it was weird praying with this creepy picture. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Right in your lap. It's like, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this image here, we're going to really get deep into because this pretty much describes everything that we're dealing with as far as the future is concerned. This, uh, this Baphomet goat is also known as the goat of Mendez, but um, it's also an image of transformation. So um, when we look at the age that we're in and how we see certain things playing out, this is what we can expect in the future. So um, how we're going to get started is we're going to break down what this thing means. Um, if you look at the, uh, the three horns on the top of the head, they stand for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In the middle is the illuminated torch that they have there. Um, when you look at the image, you can clearly tell it's neither male nor female. You can tell that it's part beast and part human. And, um, you know, there's pretty vulgar images here. If you see one arm pointed up and you see the other one down, that stands for as above and so below. You know, that's a, um, that's a term that they like to use. And, you know, when it comes to whatever's happening in the spirit, happens in the flesh. And, you know, he's, it's really Satan trying to be uh, God in some ways because the Lord says, you know, um, in his prayer, you know, um, as, it, um, as it is on earth, as it is in heaven, you know, he's trying to play it out the same way but not use the exact same words. Okay, when you look at the image here in the middle where you see that phallus symbol, um, if you notice, they're like two snakes intertwining. 
they begin at the point of the, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard some of the um, New Agers talk about chakras that are in the body, those points. Well, if you look at this symbol here, it begins at the base of the spine. Where's the first chakra point? There are seven that lead up to the pineal gland, which is where you see the star. So as you go through the Kundalini experience where people become more and more taken over by demonic spirits, what you begin to see is it move like this, you know, almost like two figure eights until it reaches the pineal gland. Now, when they get to that point, it means like your third eye is open. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, my third eye, or we talk about the, the two-headed women, then they can see into the spirit realm and they can see what's going on here. Um, if you notice, it has breasts like a female, you know. Um, and the solve that you see on one arm written means um, to separate. And the one on the bottom, which is coagula, means bring together. So what you notice here is it's kind of like... Hey, how's it going? Miserable. <laughs> I'm glad you made it. I always get lost in this city. Yeah. You're good. All right, I can actually give you this one then to explain it. But, um, yeah, this is what we're studying. This is the Baphomet goat, the goat of Mendez. You know, it's a symbol of transformation. I'm sure you've seen it before. But, um, yeah, when you look at the solve, that means to separate. And when you look at the hand pointed down, it means to bring together. So it's as above, so below. You know that the star is the pineal gland. You see the phallus symbol at the bottom, twisted. That goes through the chakras going up to the uh, third eye. They call it the kundalini experience, but they believe that it's a literal serpent going up your spine like this until it reaches the pineal gland. So this is where people claim that they get their enlightenment, you know, where they get the secret knowledge and everything, and then they're able to see into the spirit realm. So, um, so when it says to separate up above, like separate heaven and, and, and right together, the right. Well, it's kind of like dualism where you would say there is neither good or bad. Like you guys look at the yin yang, mm -hmm. uh, symbol, you know, and that speaks of dualism where you have, it's neither good nor bad. It's just the way things are. You can use bad to be a positive and you can use good to be a negative. Now, we know in God's kingdom, that's not the case because of the fact that there are things that, um, you know, the Lord separates the light from the dark, you know, the good from the bad. So, I mean, to get started, let's see where we should go first. Do you know why the hand symbols are that way? Um, let me, uh, I can actually read it out because there is um, something I meant to go over. Like, I know the basics, you know, and like what some of those things mean, but uh, I saw someone that had like a full breakdown of the whole thing, and I copied it. Let's see here. Because the salt okay. looks like the Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. It could be. I'm sure it's a cult in its um, origin. Okay, it says here, the goat of the front... The frontispiece carries a sign of the pentagram on its forehead. We've all seen that. With one point at the top and symbol of light, uh, his two hands forming the sign of Hermeticism. You know, Hermeticism is pretty much the philosophy of Hermes. Hermes is none other than, you know, uh, a Zazel or Thoth, where people like to talk about. But that's we'll get into that in a few. 
um, Azazel was actually one of the angels that was in the um, the book of Enoch, you know, where it spoke of him as being a scapegoat. Even the Bible speaks of him. But um, it's pretty much saying here, okay, now you see the symbol on the forehead. Um, oh, and back to Hermeticism, it pretty much, you know, that's why I don't like to use the term, even in studying the Bible, hermeneutics. You know, when they talk about, like, your biblical worldview or how you see things. And, you know, there's only one way, and that's through Christ. And you have seminaries that teach this stuff when, you know, Paul never studied hermeneutics. Paul never studied apologetics. And these guys, they all understood the Bible and what it said, you know, all together. But I do understand why those things were made to make it easier for people. But in some ways, you know, this is the origin of where they come from. Okay, so we have the pentagram on the forehead. Uh, forming the sign of hermeticism, the one pointing up while the white moon is um, a white moon of chest, that's what they call it, and other pointing down to the black one of uh, Geburah. I didn't really look those up, but I believe one means separate and the other means bring together. But when you see the dark moon and the light moon, it's as above, so below. There is no good, there is no evil, they intertwine, and this is what the universe is made of. So it's pretty much telling you to live with it. You know, this is how it is. Even in uh, martial arts, my dad used to talk a lot about, because he had studied it for years and years, he said how when your opponent would be aggressive, that a way of defense or attack would to be was to be passive. You know, and then when the person became passive, you became aggressive. So it was kind of like that way of, you know, the way things work. Take someone with their momentum, don't resist. You know, so even even fighting styles have been made from this yin-yang symbol, you know, and how things are. Okay, um, the sign expresses the perfect harmony of mercy and justice. His one arm is female and the other, um, the other male, like the ones of the androgyny of the Kurath. Now, you know um, Kunrath. Well, basically, that separate means the woman. And that come together, no, the come together means the woman, the separate means the man. Now, this is how vulgar this thing is that I don't really want to go into, but that's pretty much what they're talking about. You know, there's the separate and there's the come together. Now, you know, when people are involved in, <laughs> when people have sex, human beings, there's a separation and then there's a come together. This is where these sick people, you know, have this symbol for Okay, and um, the attributes of which we have to unite with those of our goat because he is one and the same symbol. The flame of intelligence shining between his horns is a magic light of the universal balance. This is new age garbage, whatever, you know, but I'm just trying to explain it. Uh, the image of the soul elevated above matter as a, a, as a flame while being tied to matter shines above it. The ugly beast head expresses the horror of the sinner who's materially who's materially acting solely responsible uh, part as or part has to bear the punishment exclusively. So basically they're saying if you're a sinner you're like a beast, but these people don't even recognize their own wrong. You know the things that they're doing and that's how twisted they are. Okay, uh punishment exclusively. Because the soul is insensitive according to its nature and can only suffer uh, when it materializes. The rod standing um, instead of genitals, 
uh, symbolizes eternal life. The body covered with scales, uh, the water, the semicircle above, it is atmosphere. The feathers following above the volatile. Humanity is represented uh, by the two breasts and the and the androgen the androgen arms um, of this sphinx of the occult science. So that's pretty much what it means. The area they were talking about here is like when you look at this, they're saying like this means the atmosphere and the sky and everything that you just read. So um, you know to bring light into what these three horns mean, we're just going to hit a scripture real quick. So let's go to Genesis 3. I mean, I have to be honest with the symbols that they have there. I'm not so sure I understand them myself. I know where they're going with it. But the thing is, is that, you know, it's not something that a Christian would get into. Genesis 3. Okay. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat um, of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit in, of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that the day that ye eat thereof, uh, eat thereof, oh man, trying to get to the next page. Ye eat thereof, um, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasing to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, and uh, he did eat. What's being expressed here are three different things. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food, you have the lust of the eyes. When you see that it's... um. She saw it was pleasing to the eyes. You know, you have the lust of the flesh, a desire to make one wise. You know, that's the pride of life. You know, how you would look at things. So right here in Genesis 6, Satan tries to introduce to Eve the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what those three horns on the head stand for. And this is what we fight with in our everyday life. The lust of the eyes, those are things we battle against. The lust of the flesh and the pride of life. So these are the things that need to be put to bed when we follow the Lord. And this is where the enemy, you know, exalts. This is what he desires. This is what everything that their kingdom is built on is all about. So let's go to uh, Isaiah 14 real quick. The word baphomet means baphometios, which means baptized by fire. It also means transformation. Do you think they're trying to create this, the splicing DNA and everything? Absolutely. It stands for transhumanism. I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to go further into it. 
it, it stands for transhumanism. It also stands for what we would talk about concerning um, androgyny. You know, this is why there is a spirit that is pushing homosexuality today. You know, the idea, the goal of this new order is to have uh, androgyny, you know, asexual. There is no male. There is no female. You guys can use each other's bathrooms. That's in the works. You know, so what Satan is trying to do is blur the line between male and female. He wants to destroy the image of God. God made male. He made female. Satan wants to take them both and put them together. What's the difference? You know, so that way there'll be confusion. And in Satan's kingdom, the women actually lead. So you see, his world is upside down. When the disciples came to set things right, what, what the people said, I believe, in the book of Acts was that the disciples were turning the world upside down, when really they were turning the world right side up. But when you get used to a thing, no matter how strange it is, it becomes normal. You know, so this is what, you know, the conditioning and all this stuff is about. That's why they want a woman in the White House so bad. hmm Oh, yeah. This got nothing to do with equal rights. Satan knows that this hurts the Lord, you know. Um, and, and I hate to say this at times because I know that the way the world makes it seem that it's like you're putting a woman down, but it's not. The Lord has his structure. You know, they were the sons of God. You know, there are no female angels. Does that mean that, you know... God is, you know, a, a chauvinist? No. They were just the sons of God. You know, now we know that there are sons and daughters of God when Jesus came and gave the Holy Ghost. But they started out the sons of God. So, you know, anyway, um, Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Now, these are known as the five eye wills of Satan. This is something that the New Age lives in. This is their motto. This is what's still playing out today. Even in Genesis 6, when it speaks about um, when Satan said, you shall not surely die. This is where the whole concept of reincarnation comes from. When Satan said, um, you shall be as gods. See, it didn't start with Charles Darwin. It began with Satan in the Garden of Eden about evolution. You shall be as gods. This is what he wanted to promote. So these things go way back, and this is what the whole system sits on. Okay, uh, verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Even Satan recognizes here that he couldn't be better than the Most High. He said that he would be like the Most High. So this is his goal, and this is why he chooses people to try and get back into the heavens to fight against God. You know, this was his promise that he made when he was kicked out, that one day he would come back. He would sit in the throne of God, you know, where he claimed that he would sit in the mount of the congregation and the sides to the north. We know that the Lord, God's favorite place is like Mount Zion. I couldn't tell you exactly what it looked like, but there was a mountain of God that God loved. You know this in Ezekiel 28. We even believe that the pyramid that's on the earth now is symbolic for what Satan's, um, you know, mount or, or the Lord's mountain looked like. 
And this is why Satan makes replicas of it as if it's a symbol for him. But it's really symbolic for what was in the heavens. So this is his way of trying to be a God or mimic the Most High. That makes any sense. When he said he would exalt his throne above the stars of God, he was talking about himself using man to get back into the heavens. When you read the book of Obadiah, this is what the space stations and things are set up for. This is why they came up with planetary defense systems. You know, this is why they came up with movies like, uh, what's that film? Uh, Deep Impact. You know, everybody, they're, they're trying to condition the world. And what's the other one, Armageddon? Mm -hmm. They're trying to condition the world for some uh, attack that's going to happen in the future. You know, they're trying to get everybody ready. Hey, guys, when this asteroid comes, we're going to blast it out of the sky to save humanity. Now, we all know that's not an asteroid. You know who's coming. And this is what he's preparing for. He's trying, and his, in their deceived minds, they're following Satan to try and stop the Most High. When Jesus is on his way back, and this is why when you read Revelation 19.19, 19, they talked about them aiming their weapons up at the Lord to try and stop his coming. Now, that's the only, that's the only reason for these movies. There's no asteroids. You know, there's no big meteor that's going to hit the earth. They're preparing their planetary defense systems to fight against the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is how crazy it really That's truly is. Absolutely. You know, so they don't know when, but they're getting ready. And did you even know that NASA itself, their space program was canceled? Because in, in 2011, they did this. Why? Because they had built up everything that they felt they were going to need to wait for the return of the Lord. They don't, even, they don't even do the NASA thing anymore. If they are doing something, it's actually, you know, something that, uh, you know, we don't know about. Other things that they're putting up there. And I don't even believe in man going to the moon, but we'll get into that, you know, in a little bit. I just saw they're sending, uh, England is sending their first man to walk on the moon. Yeah. And the funny thing is they're probably setting up other satellites. So, all right. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll get into... Uh, Let's go into some other scriptures here, talking about this, about the man and beast. Uh, let's go into 2 Corinthians 11. I know this sounds like a lot, but, you know, I'm not crazy. <laughs> verse? No, verse 13. Actually, we didn't even have to go there yet. Sorry, guys. Um, well, let's go into Ephesians 5. Sorry. And then we'll go back to Corinthians? Uh, yeah. In a little bit, like not right now. I jumped the gun with that one. First Corinthians 5 verse 10. If this is the transformation, and this is what the enemy is trying to do with that picture, then we know that we're all under attack because God has his ways set up one way. Yes, sir. Is it Ephesians 5? Yeah. Okay. Oh. Ephesians 5 verse 10. Yeah. 
Ephesians was right by Corinthians. acceptable unto the Lord uh, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them for if for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light for whatsoever doth make manifest is light wherefore he saith awake thou that sleepeth that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So what the Lord is bringing up here is, they're talking about not speaking in secret. You know in this whole thing that they got going on, it's all secret. When they do their initiations and they get these other groups, to go against um, or, or to be a part of their little cult or whatever they have going on, they're always speaking in secrecy. So Paul is talking about here that in secrecy, that's not the way that God does things. He said to walk in light, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So that debunks the whole yin-yang thing where they like to think that this is the way the world goes because light and dark were never meant to be together, which is why in the days of Genesis, in the beginning, the Lord separated the light from the dark. Okay. Um, also want to get into something else. Let's go to, uh, this is just like a refresher, like a warm-up. Uh, let's go into Daniel 2. Daniel 2, verse 40. Now remember, this is talking about the uh, kingdoms, you know, the four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw, you know, what Daniel saw. So we're going into the fourth, you know, again, like we talked about last week, we're in the revised Roman Empire. You know, this is the, the iron mixed with miry clay, the ten toes. Verse 40, And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, uh, and as iron that breaketh, uh, that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. For whereas thou sawest uh, the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it um, of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet uh, were, of, were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. 
And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, uh, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So what they're speaking of here is, if we're in the Roman Empire, which symbolized the iron, and we talk about the clay that man is made of, one thing people got to understand about the Romans, um, back in their time when the Caesars ruled after the Roman Empire was destroyed, you guys can look this up, there was Causaria that was formed between the Black and Caspian Sea. They were known as the Serpent People before they were even called anything about, you know, when the Roman Empire um, collapsed. They were known as the Serpent People. These were the people that went down into Israel and took it over. They also spread out throughout the world. These are the 13 families that we were talking about in Genesis 36, how many of them came together. The point to make here is if they were known as a serpent people and they were from the seed of Edom, you know, where, you know, the Amalekites and all these other giant groups came from, what they're talking about in the fourth kingdom is a meshing between man and animal and man and women. You know, everything is just going to be scrambled to the point to where it can't be identified. That's what the Baphomet symbol is all about. That is the example of the iron mixed with the miry clay. I'm not sure if I'm making sense to you here, but what I'm saying is when they talk about transhumanism, when you go back to Genesis 3.15 and they speak of Satan having a seed, remember the Bible says that your seed will be mixed with, he said, I will put enmity between her seed, which was, you know, um, God's people and the, um, and the serpent seed saying that the serpent himself had a seed. What we're going to reveal today is going to be the people that are involved in this, that are all about coming against the Lord, that's all about the one world religion, that's all about the one world order, that's all about serving their so-called dead, Satan. Now, if you guys have any questions, I would love to get into that, because there's going to be things that are going to have to be covered, so I don't want to lose anybody. Well, like yeah. this image basically is saying you can go mate with anything, because it's all in here. Be with a fish, a bird, a goat, a person, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, like, yeah, remember in the book of Enoch, um, I know that, you know, we covered that one week, but they spoke about the giants themselves sitting against the birds and the, and the trees and the animals and things like that. You know, I even told the group that when we dealt with that on the other side of the flood, they believed that there was mixing and splicing, and so do I. I believe that there was genetic, um, uh, what do you call it? Splicing, you know, right, right. There were um, not mutations like something that happens. They actually um, put it together. You know, they were able to mix things up. And I believe this because of the fact that when you look at the world and you see how um, in Greece, you know, they had things like the Minotaur. You look at the um, Egyptian hieroglyphics, you see like the uh, man on his knees with a crocodile head. And he's got a human body. When you look at things like Hermes and you look at, what's that other one with the uh, dog face? The jackal face dressed like an Egyptian? Yeah. I can't remember his name, but he was supposed to be the god of the underworld. But what I'm saying is they did this stuff to upset the Lord. So the book of Enoch actually explains this. Um, actually, Genesis 6 does too when it speaks about them becoming mighty men of renown. That means that they were famous. That means that they were people through time. So when you look at things like when you hear stuff about Hercules 
and you hear about Clash of the Titans, and you hear about all this other stuff, they were actually speaking of a time that did go on. And then it's funny how, and, and this is why I believe it happened, but afterwards, remember, the children of Israel ended up in Egypt. Okay, so they were, and by the way, I want to make clear that Edom is not the only seed of Satan. The Egyptians were, to some degree, also, and they were from the seed of Ham. So it wasn't just one particular family. There were other groups. But the Egyptians themselves, you know, remember, when they came out of Egypt, what's the first thing the Lord did? He gave them a law. What did he say? You're not supposed to have blood in your food like you have the blood of an animal. I mean, you know, from an animal in your food. Why was that? There was a vampirism thing that the Bible spoke about was going on even back then. In the times of Noah, in the times of Enoch, when you go into, um, you're not supposed to lie with an animal like you lie with a, like you lie with a person. Remember, that was in Levitical law also. So then you know that there was some type of bestiality going on because of the fact that the Lord had to tell them not to do it. Think about how, you know, you look at some of Levitical law and you say, how could this be? Why would God even tempt us to do that? And I wouldn't even think about this because that stuff was going on before. It was even taking place in Egypt where these people were bound. You know, so remember, the children of Israel were the only people that the Lord taught his laws, statutes and, statutes and commandments to. They were considered his chosen people, a holy people. The rest of the heathen did their thing. But, you know, the, if you ask yourself why there were so many things, why the Lord spoke about man lying with man and women with woman, this stuff was going on even before. And that's why, I don't know, did you ever hear the teaching on... Um, what, which one was that with the book of it, the Giants? Did you ever um, hear that study that we did? Yeah, I played it. You did? I, yeah. I just right. didn't hear the last, I think, half hour. I had to go to sleep. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I talk long. a lot. I thought right. two hours would cover it, and I'm like, okay, now it's too late. I have to go to bed. Right. So I did not get to hear the last part. Right. So you know that the Lord had put these things in play because there were obviously things that were going on. You know that man, he didn't want that going on all over again. You know, if man had never done that, then there'd be no reason to say, well, don't have blood in your food. You know, obviously there was something that was going on. And to my understanding, in the occult world, they talk about that if you do eat the meat or the blood of an animal, that you, because the blood, the soul is in the blood, that you would pick up the attributes of the animals. These are things that they practice in the occult. There's in um, Chinese truth, culture, yeah. there's truth in it, right? Yeah, just like uh, take our blood and then you donate it to somebody, whether for whatever reason, whether you actually need the blood or not. You take the same blood from that person, put it into a crime scene, and they can't distinguish between you and them. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then the, the doctors still can't figure out why. Oh, yeah. You know, and even in the occult world, you have like these priests these uh, Chinese priests that would drink the blood of pythons. And like I said, these people would get supernatural strength. Now, I mean, have I ever experienced that? Or I know, no. I know that a lot of boxers used to drink the blood of, of cows and bulls and things like that, and they would have the strength to fight 15, 16 rounds. And, you know, really, they said it was like a game that they would get, not realizing they took the attributes of the animals that they were trying to you know, get strong from. So you guys can look that up, but that's something that actually happens, you know, and it's it's really uh, bizarre. 
I uh, looked up a thing about the blood in test tubes, mm -hmm. and they tested it in front of really violent programming on TV, mm -hmm. and set the tubes in front of it, and they rated energy of fear versus mm -hmm. the ones that were all mild television viewing. Right. So you know in the blood there's something carrying on. If they're able to detect that in blood, then you know that part of the soul is in the blood. Why? Because the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You know, so if they can carry your emotions or read that in your blood, then you know that there's something more to the blood than just the red stuff that you see pour out when you cut. Was that well, part of Dr. Emoto's work? Or? I don't remember where I saw it. I know about that with water, but I don't know about the blood. Yeah. You did it with blood. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. But, you know, I believe it because these things happen, you know, and to me it's like not so bad. Um, to recognize, I mean, when we see this stuff, then we know what not to do. I mean, you know, if, if the Lord, and I think some of us get the impression, like, the Lord just wants to stop people from having fun. You know, he doesn't want people doing things, and, and we don't understand why, because we're in this three-dimensional world. But in the spirit realm, there's everything that he told us to do, it has merit. It means something. It can bring a danger to you. But we look at it like, you know, well, come on, it's no big deal why I like to do this. We don't even realize that there may be certain foods, and I'm doing a study on this, that can actually help you to sin. You know, that they'll give you the urges to commit certain sins. Now, you hear about um, shellfish. You know, they say the shellfish gets people, you know, riled up and, you know, they're like that. Well, shellfish was something that they weren't even supposed to eat. Now, I don't know if that was the reason. But for whatever reasons, and I uh, think Deuteronomy or Levitical law, it spoke about not eating shellfish. Do you and know I, where? What's that? Do you know where? I'll find it. I'll find it. But either way, I still eat it anyway. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm doing a study on it. Um, I believe the uh, shellfish was like the pig. The pig itself was filthy. Shellfish are janitors of the sea. You know, maybe that had something to do with it. You know, I don't know. But... For whatever reasons, um, the Lord told us not to do certain things, and I think it's way bigger than what we think. You know, I think it holds a lot to what the person does. Okay, so from here, um, I'm going to go right into the New Age, you know, what they're about. Um, I'm going to read some uh, quotations from some of the people that are actually running the earth that speak about a new age that's going on. I think it's important that we go here so that way we can bring, uh, get some clarity and then you'll see how it matches with scripture. Okay. Let's see, I've got so many here. Okay, this is from Zbigniew uh, Brzezinski. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him, but he's a United Nations... Um, I guess, top guy. You know, he's one of the guys that, that rule on the, the United Nations. He says, the, tech, the technotronic era involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite, unrestrained by traditional values. Soon it will be possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date complete files containing even the most personal information about the citizen. So this is telling you here that they're trying to get a grid in play 
where they're able to monitor every single person, every little thing you do. As far as privacy, as we know, it's going to be thrown out the window. So this is what the grid was set up for. And, you know, they have ways of instituting it. They like to get us into the whole supermarket thing, you know. Hey, wouldn't you like to, if you ever left your uh, ID home, you know, or your cards, you have a little chip on your hand, biometrics, you just put your hand down and, you know, it, it loads up all your information and then somehow you just move on, you know. And, and you got people saying, oh, I love it. It's so simple. Not recognizing that every little step that they go forward with us is pushing us further into a board. Oh, you like that? Okay, wait till we do the brain scan. You know, wait till we do this and do that. So this will be. Yeah, but that's what they say. But that's no. Oh, no. oh yeah, you get what? I'm, okay. All right. Cool. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is theosophy. Theosophy is pretty much like godly wisdom. This is what these people claim that it is. Theosophy is responsible for just about every religion in the world, okay? Um, the Jesuits helped set this up, but it's also um, the linking of all beliefs around the world, except for Christianity. <laughs> Christianity is the one that can't go in because it's exclusive, where they're trying to bring all religions together. So there's a woman, I don't know if you guys ever heard of um, Helena Blavatsky, like, she was um, the founder of Theosophy, which pretty much helped institute a lot of these religions that we have now. But these are her, these, these are her words. Theosophists, at any rate, some of them who understand the hidden meaning of the universally expected avatars, messiahs, shioshis, and Christ, know that it is no end of the world, but the consummation of the age. The close of the cycle, which is now fast approaching. Again, the messianic cycle of a man connected with Pisces. It is a cycle, it's a cycle historical and not very long, but very occult, lasting about 2,155 solar years. It occurred um, 4, 000, uh, 2,410 B.C. to 255 B.C., or when the equinox enters into the sign of Ram and again into that of Pisces. When it enters into a new, uh, a few years, the sign of Aquarius, psychologists will have extra work to do, and the psychic idiosyncrasies of humanity will enter on a great change. So these people are actually talking about everything that you possibly knew before. Everything, and we're learning this too. Everything that we've learned in school. Everything that they tell you about evolution, everything that they tell you about world wars and history and everything that they come up with, it's all false. And they're going into a new age that's going to bring forth the truth. Now, I don't know if you guys had ever heard of the age of Aquarius. They even had songs about that. The Fifth Dimension sang about it. You know, when the dawning of the stars and all these things come together, how we'll come into a new age. Well, these people believe because they're into... Uh, What's the word I want to use? Uh, astrology. These people believe that we're in the age of Pisces. And we're heading, well, I think 2012 was supposed to be the beginning of a new age of Aquarius, which is supposed to be an age of enlightenment, where everybody's going to get to see the truth, where they're talking about this golden era, like Alexander the Great and these others talked about, how you're going to be in a golden era and everything is just going to be perfect. 
man is going to finally have his utopia because they're going to move God out the, out the way and everybody's going to come together. New world order, new world religion. So this is what they're planning to do. Okay, so, um, I mean, does everybody understand so far or somewhat? Okay, this is Alice Bailey, and then we'll get into some scripture. She says, and she's another theosophist, she says, of the future, it will be fought largely with mental weapons and in the world of thought. It is. It will involve, so, uh, the emotion realm, the emotion realm, from the standpoint of idealistic fanaticism, this inherent fanaticism will fight against the appearance of the coming world religion. Now, that fanaticism they're speaking of is us Christians. Mm -hmm. This is what they're saying, that we're so radical, we're so crazy, that we just won't allow there to be peace because we keep talking about Jesus and nothing else, you know, going into it. Okay, um, let's see, fanaticism... Um, yeah, fanaticism will fight against the appearance of the coming world religion and the spread of esotericism, you know, like secret knowledge, secret, you know, uh, messages and signs. Um, it must not be forgotten that only those souls who are on the probationary path or the path of discipleship will form the nucleus of the coming world religion. There is no question, therefore, that the work to be done is familiarizing the general public with the nature of mysteries of the, uh, I mean, it is of paramount uh, importance at this time. When the great one comes with uh, his disciples and initiates, we shall have the restoration of the mysteries and their esoteric presentation as a consequence of the first initiation. So long story short, they're talking about the world itself needs to be conditioned for the Antichrist. This is what we understand as Christians. This is why they have TV and all these other things that go on, because they got to get people prepared for what the enemy is trying to do. With that, let's go to Ephesians 6 real quick. See, when she talked about this whole thing being fought in the world of thought, mm -hmm. that tells you right then and there that we have to be on guard with everything that we're dealing with. We have to know everything that we watch, everything that we do is about conditioning. Okay, Ephesians 6, 12. Everybody there? All right. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Now, you know, the Greek word there for principalities is archaic. We've gone over that before. It means a magistrate or a government, you know, but they're not talking about an earthly government. They're talking about a heavenly government. These are the, this is the ranking system behind the scenes concerning the spirit world. So we wrestle against um, principalities, against powers. These are authorities. You know, the Greek word there is exousia. These are authorities that are in play concerning how certain laws are made, how certain things are done, you know, conditioning, like this whole homosexual agenda. You know, they can be married now. All these things that they have going on, that's what the exousia is for. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world, 
That word uh, for dark, uh, for rulers of the darkness is cosmocrater. That means a world ruler. They're talking about those that rule, that will be in charge of whatever's going on. They're the ones that lay them down against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the, in the evil day, uh, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now think about why that would be. You know the funny thing about this whole world and everything that they're doing? It sounds funny because you would think that it would say, let's be truthful through and through. That's what you would think it would mean. But when it says have your loins girt about with truth, this is also speaking of sexual sins, things that would get you to do the wrong thing. Now, a lot of pastors have fallen headlong into this trap. A lot of pastors, um, you know how they, you guys have heard about Freemasons in the pulpit and things like that. Well, you know, the loins themselves speaks of lust, not just sexual lust, but other types of lust. Now, think about the fact that, you know, a lot of these pastors I know have been seduced into falling short. Look at Jimmy Swaggart. Look at guys that came before him and after him that are caught up in these acts. And now, because they did these things and not had the Lord work this stuff out in their lives so that they wouldn't be caught out there, it's a snare. It's something to get everyone looking at you like, hey, look at what your pastor is doing. So you want to gird up your loins with truth. Your truth would be, well, if you're a pastor, true to your wife. Your truth would be true to the Lord, true to those that you're teaching. Because you, ha you can't be a person in error. It's not saying you have to be perfect, but there's certain things as a man or woman of God you can't be out there doing. You know, because this will tell the entire public, hey, look at what this guy is doing. You see this? You know, so that would, that would uh, what do you call it, tear your credibility in half. You know, because people will link you with the things of the world. So that's what it means by girding up your loins with truth. Yeah. I have to add to that because yeah. we know the truth in Jesus, mm -hmm. but the world is backwards. So they're going to look at us like we're the crazy one. Mm -hmm. So then you have to have the truth all built up inside of you so that you know that you're not the crazy one. Absolutely. Because they're going to make you feel like you're nuts. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big part of it. For sure. Okay. Um, gird up your loins uh, with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So this means that, you know, as a, as a pastor, I, I believe it's in Ephesians where they talked about how the pastor would have to be. He, could, he would have to have not a spotless record, but it'd be one that was respectable, you know, so that way people couldn't say, hey, I know your pastor from blah, blah, blah. You know, he would be a man that, yeah, I used to do that, but I'm not that way anymore. You know, the Lord has redeemed me. So, you know, he's a reflection of his church. But when it says putting on the breastplate of righteousness, that is that is a part of the armor. You know, that's something that you need to be able to combat. If there are chinks in your armor, the enemy will find them out. So this is why we have to stay under the armor. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is a big part, especially when you're facing adversity, when you're dealing with things concerning the enemy, how when you walk that path, you're going to walk a path of peace. Regardless of what's going on, I trust in the Lord. Even though things are falling down in my life, I'm going to praise him. 
He's going to be my everything. He's still my God. Mm -hmm. He hasn't left me nor forsaken me. This is something I'm going through that he's going to deliver me from. If you don't have this, guaranteed the devil will play in your life. Because the first thing that the devil loves to do is to say, Oh, where is this God of yours? Oh, if he's really your God, then why is he letting all this stuff happen to you? And you see, when you don't have that, you will begin to doubt. You will begin to stop believing because you're like, you know what? Why would God do this to me? You know, so Satan has a way of switching it around. Have you ever noticed when bad things begin to happen in people's lives, they always blame God. They never think about the adversary of God. Have you ever noticed that? God, how could you let this happen? You know, what about his adversary that he speaks about that he tells us to be guarded against, to stay away from? But we'll always blame the Lord. And, you know, that's Satan's mind trying to get people to turn against God. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah. Above all, taking on the shield of faith. This, and it says above all. So you know that your faith is going to be the, the main thing that's going to keep you in the times of the evil days. Being able to hold on to that. You know, I, I think I spoke about, did you guys ever listen to the um, body, soul, and spirit uh, video that we have when you weren't here? You didn't check that out? Did you? The newer one? Um, it's, it's actually um, just after or before Giants, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, um, you know, I spoke about how um, our, the weapons of our warfare can't be carnal. They have to be those of you know, spiritual uh, means, you know, where I talked about your shield of faith. If your shield of faith is the size of a dinner plate, I don't think you're going to be able to do much. But when you walk with a shield of faith as wide as a house, you know, then you're talking business because it's like the enemy can't fire his darts at you. You know, that's your protection. And that's why it says, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. These fiery darts are not just carnal physical weapons. They're also thoughts. Just how Alice Bailey talked about, this thing will be in the world of thought. Mm -hmm. You know, the devil inspiration itself is to be breathed upon by a spirit, whether it's good or bad. You know, that's where inspiration comes from. So if you got your shield of faith up, you'll be able to deal with those fiery darts. You know, when they're launched at you, they'll fall off of you. Why? Because you know your God is God. You have faith that your God is all-knowing and he's all-doing. Mm -hmm. You should right? read Psalm 91. Oh, I love Psalm 91. <laughs> I quote it every morning. Every morning. I love Psalm 91. That, is that the, just goes right with it. Yep, that's the Lord's battle prayer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, uh, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation... Now, helmet of salvation, I believe, also blocks the thoughts, but it's also something that you hold on to that will allow you to, you know, I'm not going to say stay saved. The Lord saves you, but you're going to believe you are saved and no one's going to convince you otherwise because you're wearing that helmet. Now, I think this is, this is what also, in some ways, speaks against once saved, always saved, because the Bible is saying you got to put this helmet on. Leave it on. You can't have it off. You know, you have to wear it or the enemy will, will try and take it from you. So that's an important part. And then it says, uh, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Guys, we have to know this book. 
We have to study it. We got to know because in the coming days, there's going to be things that are going to sound just like the word of God, but it won't be the word of God. It's going to be, you know, little things thrown in there to throw you off. Now, I think that we have to know much of this because we're going to be quoting this. This is where your salvation comes. If you ever felt like uh, certain things going on in your life that were not good, I mean, you know, you were troubled and how you would deal with the situation. But the funny thing was, when you put on a gospel song, when you said your prayers, when you began to praise the Lord, and all these things would just start to go away and lift off of you. How do we know that that works? Depression is one of the forms of the, of the influence of demons. There's depression, which is, you know, um, attacks that occur outside the body. Then you have uh, oh, obsession, which is um, attacks that occur in the flesh. Then you have oppression when you stand, you can't stop committing the sin. You know, when you're pretty much a slave, when you are um, oppressed, it's like, you know what? I know the right way, but I can't get out of it now. That's demons residing in the soul. When you get into possession, that's demons residing in the spirit. That's when you see those movies where, you know, the eyes rolling back in the head and the person, you know, going off the ground and, you know, the exorcist. That's, that's the difference. So... Christians don't get to that point, you know, as far as, but we can be depressed. We can be obsessed with certain things, okay? But oppression, I believe when you get there, your walls are completely down. You are just totally walking in an opposite direction outside of God. So, you know, the sword of the spirit, it's the only offensive weapon we have. That's the weapon that we have to fire back with the enemy, which is more powerful than a regular sword. It's more powerful than any uh, carnal physical weapon, you know? And if you notice, with all this armor, there's nothing on the back, okay? Because I believe that we're supposed to face the enemy. We're supposed to fight the enemy. I don't mean fight like just go at it. I mean like you're supposed to stand there in your faith, in your boldness, in the Lord. But turning around and running, and I'm not saying if the Lord doesn't tell you flee, you flee. Of course you do. But the thing is, is that there's nothing for the back because these weapons are offensive. They are meant to stand during austere conditions, during times of great trouble in your life. And, and this is what protects you. Okay. another one. Yeah. You talk about facing the enemy, but nothing in the back. But you're my back. And then you, 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 well, got each other back, so it's like a circle. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the big part. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a big part in the body of Christ mm -hmm. is that, you know, iron sharpening iron. So we know that we don't do this alone. But what I'm saying is if you ever had to stand alone, just know you're not alone. The right. angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear the Lord. Okay, so we have to know that we have that faith. But I can tell you times in my life when I didn't walk in that faith, I felt something that was like, I want to believe. I'm saying that I believe, but nothing's changed. Because why? I really didn't believe. You know, it's just how that story, I remember my pastor talking about how there were some kids that wanted to pray for rain. I think it was a farmer or something with his crops and he wanted to pray for rain. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And nothing happened. So, you know, the man started thinking that, you know, maybe there is no God. And his, his mom or his wife or someone told him, they said, you know, um, what, what's the problem? And he says, um, I'm praying for rain, but the Lord is not answering. 
And she said, well, if you're praying for rain, then where's your rain coat? Where are the buckets that you look to receive this water? Where is your evidence that you believe other than saying it with your mouth? So, you know, along with faith, there comes certain types of actions and things that show the Lord that you mean business, that you really believe. So I can't say that I believe, but then I won't test God. <laughs> you know, Lord, I believe, but in case something doesn't happen, you know, I'm going to have um, a 10-foot wall thick with bars. You know, in case you don't come to my rescue, I've got carnal protection. It doesn't work that way. When you believe, you believe, you know, and that's what it's really all about. You have to have that faith. So everybody understands the... Uh, the uh, you know, what the armor's for. Uh, Blavatsky talking about the world of thought. Uh, or Alice Bailey. You know, this thing, they never intended uh, intended to fight us straight up until they thought that they were ready. You know, when they thought that they were ready is when they became bold with everything that they're doing. We're going to get into some of this stuff too, guys, because... I was going to add really quick about the armor. It's, you know, if you if you're ready to, to go to battle, you're absolutely fully armored. Like, you know, you don't just go like, like I, I'm going to wear the shoes, you're going to wear the helmet, you're going to get the one? sword. Did you need one? Well, you've seen it, right? Yeah, I can show you. Uh, you know, we, we each need to be fully armored to go to battle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. And some people won't be. They'll have those chinks in their armor. You know, we, we can't pretend in this thing. We really have to know that we are shielded by the Lord. Okay, uh, what we're looking at here, guys, is a, um, a pyramid of the true world structure. Now, I'll explain a few things on here that I know. Now, you know the knights of the east and west and the knights that you see on the um, right side of the pyramid at the bottom. These are basically talking about the small, low-level um, secret societies like Freemasonry. Okay, um, when you go into the Black Brotherhood, you know, it talks about here the organized Satanism and hubs of the um, of the Brotherhood. So these are people like Anton LaVey, those other people that push people directly to try and worship Satan. You know, you've heard of the Church of Satan and all that other stuff that they have going on. Um, when you go to the novice witch levels, if you notice, there's two different sides. There's one side that focuses strictly on the spiritual side of things, you know, the religious side, and then you see the other side, is more like a government structure. And as they get closer to the top, these things come closer together. But uh, what we want to get into, too, I'm going to pass this out, because as we just read in Ephesians 6, when we talked about the uh, principalities and powers, well, they actually have names. Okay, um, I don't know if you guys had ever heard of the Ascended Masters. You guys ever heard that term before? No. Okay, you've heard of them. Okay, well, because some of the people that we're listening to, that we're quoting, uh -oh, where did I put it? Some of the people that we're quoting um, actually received their messages from these beings. Now, disregard the Jesus Christ thing. I'll explain that here in a minute about why he's in it. Is that the real one? Um, well, there's a, uh, we'll get into that, but there's a things that, if you guys want to look at that, yeah. okay. 
there are things here that um, these beings supposedly run things. The one that spoke about the world of thought, how we're going to fight, is uh, the guy that you see here, the Asian-looking guy like the Tibetan. He's the one that, I don't know if you guys ever heard of channeling. Have you guys yeah. ever heard of channeling? You've heard of it. Where these people will claim that if they open themselves up, like that kundalini experience that we were talking about, if they open themselves up to the spirit, that they will have these entities speak to them and give them orders and tell them what to do. Have you guys ever heard of uh, automatic writing? Okay, because a lot of people say that William Shakespeare even did this. They said he wasn't the brilliant man you thought he was, and neither was Einstein. They claimed that these guys were level witches where they received information and they were able to write them down. But automatic writing is one of the weirdest things you'll see because the person is literally sitting there, taken over by a spirit, their eyes are closed, and they're just writing. And I mean, and, and it's not just chicken scratch. They're writing real messages, like some of the stuff that we're, we've actually read. So um, the thing to understand about that, and then you grab your pyramid, is that at the very top of the pyramid, when it gets to the white brotherhood, this is where they stand, because it's got nothing to do with color or anything like that. It's more to do with um, the fact that they run things. Okay, you guys see this one here at the... Uh, at the side, uh, Sanat Kumra, he, uh, on the, uh, list of the, uh, sorry, because I meant to yeah. go into this. You guys see the guy to the far right? Looks like a ghost almost, Sanat Kumra. Yeah, he's none other than Satan. Okay, and there are people that will speak about that. He's actually the leader of these so-called beings that they're waiting for to come. There's a guy named, um, what's his name, Maitreya. That actually, um, I wish I had the quotes on him, but Maitreya is the guy that they're expecting to come. This, you know, Jesus-looking character here. He's a guy that they're expecting to come that's supposed to be the fifth Buddha. He's supposed to be the Iman Mahdi to the Muslims. He's supposed to be the, um, the Messiah to the Jews. You know, the, um, what's the others? The uh, Krishna to the uh, the Hindus, and he's supposed to be, you know, Jesus Christ coming, you know, this individual here. So, you know, what's interesting about that is we know him none other as the, you know, he's the Antichrist, mm -hmm. you know, that, that we're expecting to see. But when you look at this, this talks about these guys sitting at the top, and above them comes Satan himself. So this is this is the structure that they had set up. When you look at the back of your dollar bill and you see that capstone that they're waiting to sit on top of everything, when they have achieved that is when they'll have their new world order. Now, you know they don't have that yet because of the fact that these entities have not exposed themselves to the public. What we're talking about when they speak of the iron mixed with miry clay, this thing is going to turn metaphysical. It's no longer going to be where we see things just in the fleshly sense. Whatever's in the spirit realm is going to be open. That veil that they spoke about being there, it's going to be lifted. Like Martin uh, talks about the uh, Hadron Collider, and he talks about CERN. Well, this is exactly what CERN is for, is bringing everything that's on that other side into the spirit, you know, making them all one. 
So this is this is a pretty bizarre time that, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to get into. And this is why when I hear Christians talk about they don't believe in the gifts today, they don't believe in um, that type of spiritual power that the gifts were done away with, they ended with the apostles. How do you expect us to stand in this time if the full armor isn't real? Mm-hmm. You know, if we're not dealing with what we need to as far as having the power of God, to withstand this stuff. So it's almost like saying that the enemy himself has power, but we have none. <laughs> how, can, how can the Christians have no power? But when you look at witchcraft, these people are doing things. That's so, exactly how Satan wants it. Exactly, because if he can tell the church that they're powerless, but he can still do some of the things that he's doing, mm-hmm. that'll tell you that, okay, the church is no match for me. I want them to not believe in the gifts because I don't want to have to deal with those gifts when I come. Okay, so um, from here I wanted to, I know I'm kind of scrambled right now, but it's like you intend to go one way and then you're led another way. Well, if all the churches believed in the, in the gifts, believed in the power, then Satan would pretty much have no authority. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, when you go into some of this stuff, I want to get into the uh, the plan that uh, Alice Bailey was given by this Tibetan, you know, that she spoke to. His name is Dejwa Kool, but he's supposed to be the Tibetan that gave her this information. What we find is he gave Alice Bailey a 10-step plan that many of these people um, still deal with. And they, they went by according to, uh, let's see, let me get it real quick. Okay, this is called 10 Strategies to Attack Christianity by Alice Bailey. Now, we know she didn't write it. It was the, the, the Tibetan that spoke through her, which is none other than a demon, you know, a fallen angel. But I'm going to pull that up right now. Okay. The first step on this list that she has is to take God and prayer out of the education system. She said change curriculum to ensure that the children are freed uh, from the bondage of Christian culture. Why? Because children go to school and will, um, to be equipped to face life. They are willing to trust and they are willing to value what is being given to them. If you take God out of education... They will unconsciously form a resolve that God is not necessary to face life. They will focus on these things. Uh, The school uh, counts them worthy to be passed on, and they will look at God as an additional, um, if one can afford the additional. So this tells you here that this is exactly what the plan was. You get God out of school. You'll have people, as we as we uh, read in Corinthians, how they'll go from the spiritual mind that, that the Lord intends for us to have into going into the Greek mind. Now, we've, we've talked about the Greek mind before. This is where all education is based. This is why people that don't believe in the Lord, you know, have this thing of trusting in this life. You ever find people, all they know is, just like Alice Bailey said, or the Tibetan that spoke through her, that you're going to, you know, experience life. Um, we evolved. Um, you don't need God. Um, I'm, I'm going to make my own way in life. I'm a humanist. 
You know, you'll hear that, man in his own wisdom. This also goes right back to Genesis 3 when Satan talked about, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So this is something that was set up that if they knew that they removed God from education, then people would find them separate. See, and little by little around the world, God became a fairy tale, while education, false education and the programming became a real thing. You know, so people look at education as their reality, and now Christianity is linked with the Easter Bunny, Santa, you know, the Tooth Fairy, all these other individuals. So, okay, anybody want to add anything? Or no, this name uh, uh, at the end—it's actually Satan. If you if you were to switch it around, Sanat Kumra. Oh yeah, right. yeah. I'm gonna uh, read some things that they believe on him too. Here's number two. Reduce parental authority over the children. She said, break the communication between parent and child. Why? So that parents do not pass on Christian traditions to their children. Liberate children from the bondage of their parents' traditions. How? (laughs) Now, this just tells you right here that this is why if parents try to discipline their children, they call DHS. They're teaching children in schools right now. Now, I know a lot of them said it was for abuse. You know, it's good when a child is being abused that they may know how to reach out for help, but we know that's not most children. You know, according to John Todd, he said that witches are not allowed to discipline their children. Now, John Todd was a high level of the Collins family in the Illuminati. He said witches are not allowed to discipline their children because they know by doing so that the child would be broken, you know, and would fall under, I'm a child, they're a parent. They want the children to be as rebellious as possible, because they know that would bring about disorder. They'd have no respect for law, and this is what they want, you know, and this is why they, they empower children, but now you've got parents that are afraid to spank their kids, you know, because they know that there's a law that tells them, you touch your kid, we'll come and take the kid away. Now, it's not for the kid's safety, Because you know what happens from there, the kid ends up in a foster home where they may even be molested or, you know, losing your mom or your dad. That's going to have some effect on you as a child. Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win situation for Satan. But again, he's playing on emotions. Okay, so uh, we'll go to three. You going to say something? Oh, okay. No. I was just thinking of a situation. Oh, okay. A friend of mine. I'm listening. Had a... Mm -hmm. Had an incident with with the kid. Mm-hmm. When that kid ended up calling the police and then DHS or DSH, whatever it's called, human services, and uh, took away all the kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And they took them away. And my opinion is the kid wasn't exactly victim, but the parent wasn't exactly innocent. Right. But the state did not need to come in, take them away, and then the DHS, the what's the person in charge? Not the counselor. But um, social worker. Social worker said yeah. would only take the word of the fifteen-year-old mm-hmm. over, you know, anybody else. Eventually, had to get lawyers that replace that person, and even the higher up in the social workers, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why aren't these kids back? Exactly. And that's the whole plan, is to break the structure that God formed. 
And this is why we have so much disorder. And if we know this, you know, we should share this information with people because this is the government declaring war on God. You know, it may look like it's against us, but it's really against the Lord. How can you serve your Lord with these laws in play? <laughs> you know, teach children to be rebellious against their parents so that you can't even learn about the Lord. Why do the demons that did this fear the Lord so much if he's not real? Mm -hmm. You think about that. Why is it all based? You don't see anything in here about Buddhism, Islam, none of the other cultures. And we see how a lot of their children are treated. Like DHS should be over there. But the thing is, is that you got this stuff going on here, but the focus is solely on God and his creation. Okay, uh, three, destroy the Judeo-Christian family structure or the traditional um, Christian family structure. Why? It is oppressive and that the family is the core of the nation. If you break the family, you break the nation. Liberate the people from the confines of this structure. Now, that tells you there that if you destroy a family, you know, TV, I've always mentioned several times that TV was a ploy set up by Satan. It was nothing to do with, you know, family time, families getting together. It began that way. When it was first a radio, you know, everybody sat around like right now watching, you know, listening to the radio. Then came the TV because people wondered, oh, I wonder what it would be like to see the people that are talking. So then you have that. But then what comes next? Channels. So you don't all have to watch the one show one night. You can switch it around. You know, you can watch this channel or that channel. What do you think that did for parents and kids? They no longer sat at the table for dinner. You know, now there's TVs in the room that everyone's watching their own show. Not interacting. When the family sat together, you would know what was wrong with your child the moment they came home. How can you sit across the table from each other and not notice something's wrong with my son, something's wrong with my daughter. But you see, once the family divided and your favorite show was on, there's no more communication. Everybody's looking into the idiot box, you know, where they just, you know, focused. While they're all being brainwashed and conditioned to whatever it is they're watching. And then people wonder why families split up, why people break up. You got different people programmed differently in one home. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like everybody has become a stranger. Yes, sir. I was going to say that the TV, when they started doing that, the next step was when they saw it was that easy, that's where the cell phone was introduced. Because, you know, family, you can't sit at the dinner table. You can't do anything these days without your cell phone. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And, I mean, you know, it's all about being plugged in and being taken away from what the Lord wants to design. It's just like we were eating breakfast at the TV. kids mm -hmm. and the youngest kid was like probably six and he's like can't everybody just get off their phones yeah. <laughs> they were all like this mm -hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the kid notices the exactly and the kid <laughs> notices yeah i didn't read this part either to three it says promote sexual promiscuity free young people to the concept of premarital sex let them have free sex Lift it so high that the joy of 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 enjoying um, it, like sex, is the highest joy in life. Fant fantasize, <laughs> fantasize it. 
that everybody will feel proud and be seen uh, to be sexually active, even those outside of marriage. So this is another thing where they began to use TV and use other things to get people's mindsets. Now you look at, you know, one pastor I heard, uh, he talked about, you know, Brad and Angelina. You know, they get together. You know, they do a movie together, commit adultery. He divorces his wife. You know, she divorces her husband. And they just get together and just start dropping babies. No wedding yet. And this is what they, this is the witness to the young people. And then when they come on TV shows, they honor these people like, oh, well, you know, Brad and Angelina are going to be here tonight. And it's like, how do you honor that garbage? But you see, now that people are doing it, it's no big deal. Now it's just like, well, no one's getting married anymore. People are quickly marrying and getting divorced because it's not the structure that it used to be. It's all getting set up. Okay, four. If sex is free, then make abortion legal and make it easy. She said, build clinics of abortion. Now, you know, Margaret Sanger did this, who was a part of this organization that we're speaking of now. 1913. What's that? It was in 1913. That's right. You did a, um, Sarah did something on the conference uh, talking about that with Margaret Sanger. Okay. Uh, she said, build clinics for abortion, health clinics in school. If people are going to enjoy the joy of sexual relationships, they need to be free of unnecessary fears. In other words, they should not be uh, hampered with unwanted pregnancies. And this tells you here, this is all about you. Forget about everything else, you know? And, and you know something? I think that in my life, in my young life, I fell victim to this. You know, I became one of the st statistics that were on this list. And now that I'm older, and I mean, yeah, I know it's wrong because of what it's about, but you know, I look on this and I see it and I'm wondering, this is the conditioning that I was put through, that I was able to see, which even though I had a family, you know, it was still something that I saw friends of mine that didn't have families do. Now, you know, that conditioning will program you and get you thinking like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a witness to this stuff being that strong, where it tells you to have all the fun you can, and you don't have to worry about any of the consequences. That's why they're handing out protection in schools. Yeah. Middle schools, elementary schools. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, five, make divorce easy and legal. Free people from the concept of marriage for life. People enter into marriage having signed contracts of how they will share their things after divorce. People enter with one uh, foot and another behind. 50 years ago, divorce was unthinkable. It was one thing for a marriage to fail, but it was another thing for people to enter marriage with the intentions to enjoy as long as it was enjoyable and to walk out of it. So, you know, this here, they, they tried to do, they tried to get people into and you see a lot of this going on. There are people that will even tell you, how many times have we all heard, you ask someone, hey, are you guys going to get married? No, that's not for me. I don't believe in it. It's just a piece of paper. Has anyone even heard that? It's just a written contract. It means nothing to me. You know, so it's not even legal and binding with, with God's authority. It's more of it just being a piece of paper. It's no big deal. So, you know, it's ridiculous with the brainwashing that they've tried to put people through. And this is the whole struggle. And I mean, when you have this going on, even for a church, 
it even tells you that even the church structure is going to break up because it's supposed to be one family. And that's why you ever heard the terms um, pregnancy is contagious. Like in schools, you see one girl get pregnant, then there's another girl that gets pregnant. And everybody's doing it because that's a spirit, you know, that, that's active, that's getting people to all fall in line. Okay, uh, let's go to six. Make homosexuality, homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. Alice Bailey preached 50 years ago that sexual enjoyment is the highest pleasure in humanity. No one must be denied and no one must be restricted how to enjoy themselves. Now, you know that this in, in itself is the demon. So every time they say Alice Bailey, it's really Dejwa Kool, the, the Tibetan. Okay, uh, people should be allowed in whichever way they choose they want, whether it is homosexuality or in incest or bestiality, as long as the two agree. Now, I want to think about this, guys, what we were talking about, the Tibetan. We just mentioned that the giants were doing this stuff. This is what the Book of Enoch says, correct? Yep. Dejwa Kool is either one of those giants who is a demon, or he was a, he was a fallen angel. Mm -hmm. Either way, look at what they're for. Because they had, remember, lust itself is the appetite of demons expressed through humans. So when you look at this, it's just, this is the demon talking. This has nothing to do with the person. Mm -hmm. This is the demon doctrine that we're all going with. <clears throat> you know, and this is how people get caught out there. Okay, it says, uh, yeah, as the two agree. So no matter what it is, it's what you agree to. And this is what the Baphomet symbol was all about. Now you see where it's beginning to come together. Yep. You look at it, and it's part human, it's part animal, it's part man, it's part woman. But it's all together in one symbol. So this is where they're trying to make it. Debase art. Make it run mad. How? Promote new forms of art which will corrupt and defile the imagination of people. Because art is the language of the spirit that uh, which is inside. If you can bring out the painting, music, drama, etc. Look at the quality of the music that is coming out the films out of Hollywood. You know, so they're telling you right here. As a matter of fact, let's go to Ezekiel 28 real quick. But, you know, I mean, they've been working on us for a long time. And, you know, if you come out saved and you are you're in your right mind in this day and age, recognizing the truth of God's word and what it says... It's miraculous intervention from the Lord. It's his love over your mind to protect you long enough to understand the truth. And even when you understand the truth, you still have to be delivered from it. Because even when you're saved, there's appetites that you have that the Lord has to sanctify you from and get rid of. Mm -hmm. But you notice how they said, go after the children really young. Because they knew from there that they can condition them. So Satan is after kids. Okay, uh, we're going to start at verse 14. Uh, matter of fact, let's start from 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This is talking about Satan. Thou hast been in the eating of um, 
the, the Eden, there has been in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, the, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and, and gold. Uh, the workmanship of thy tabernacles and of thy pipes was prepared in thee the day that thou was created. Now what we understand here is, one, Satan was in the garden of God before Adam and Eve, you know, when he was created, but then it also talks about the work. Now remember these stones too were in Revelation um, at the end. Remember when they spoke about how these stones would be set up mm -hmm. and how um, even when the high priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies, he had to worship, you know, by wearing these, these 12 stones. It's funny how Lucifer is because he was in the presence of God as the prayer and worship leader, he had to wear similar jewels. So, you know, to be balanced out with the Lord. But when it says thy tabernacles, which are like tambourines and thy pipes, which means he was like a brass instrument, Satan had instrumentation built into him. So it's no wonder that when they talk about the music and debased art, why you have these rap, the rap music and the filthy music and you have the rock music that's promoting all this stuff, you understand that Satan understands music way better than we do. This is why when you go into certain songs, they talk about the 72 beats per minute. You know, that's an occult number. But he understands through mathematic equations how music can mess with a person's psyche, can mess with a person's mood. You know, you've even seen, I think Martin talked about this one time. It was one of the first studies I think we did. It was at you, you guys' house. But Martin mentioned how scientists were able to, do you remember that? It was something about how the music would yeah, change the uh, mood. Right, it's uh, the way you actually tune the instruments. It used to be 432 hertz. Right. And that's how, you know, like, you know, if you look at Mozart, that's, that's the music that actually made you, you know, think better, heal, you know. Mm -hmm. And then back in the, the 30s, Hitler worked at the Rothschilds mm -hmm. to actually change it from 432 hertz to 440 hertz. So when, right. you, when you look at the distortion that, that it does to your body, it's, 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 it's pretty weird. Right. Yeah, so instead of healing your, yourself, it actually, it, it rattles them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it and this is why they wanted to debase art, you know. So you look at this, and, and I just, you know, read this to explain what kind of individual Satan is, what he understands. It's no wonder he would attack with music, because he understands. Mm -hmm. And this is why when you put on Christian songs, you know, John Todd even said the difference between Christian songs or, or spiritually filled Christian songs, because, you know, now you've got contemporary Christian music that's not really Christian music at all. But he said that the difference between the two is in satanic music, the beat rules the song. You know, in Christian music, the, the words rule the song. You ever notice, like, in, in a lot of Christian songs, you might, you, you don't even really pay attention to the beat because you're hearing what they're saying about the Lord, which is inspiring you. But when you hear a lot of rap songs and rock songs, and all you hear is, you know, and you hear, you know, or you got the rap music, they're rapping, but all you hear is, you know, so the beat itself dominates the song. And that could have been like the switch that, you know, that they're talking about how the, you know, you said the hurts were, um, you explained it better, but yeah, they, they, 
change it so that your, your instruments actually distort your cells versus heal them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, you know, even when... And that's, that's the new music industry now, like the way, or the music standard. You, you have to tune it at 440 hertz. Right. And, and if you, if, yeah, if you do experiments, you'll see the way they vibrate. Mm -hmm. like the 430 makes perfect, nice circles. The 440 distorts all those circles. And right, it just makes a mess. You should, you should like it. This guy has a, this, this thing on... He puts this plate onto onto a speaker with a bunch of stamp pebbles, mm -hmm. and he, he does like you know like the like the D notes, the B notes, all those the, 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 those hertz frequencies, right. and you can see as it vibrates, it like it makes nice forms and circles. Mm -hmm. When you turn it to the different frequency, it just like distorts everything. Now the the funny thing with that information is, do you think that that was man's knowledge, mm -hmm. or do you think man was taught this by some inspiration? Think about that. That's outside of normal thinking, you know? So I believe that these processes and these things were set up not by man's wisdom, but by beings such as Satan that understood that realm long before man began to do these things. So, you know, that's just something to think about. Especially when man had the ability to be distorted through music. Mm -hmm. You had the drums now, you had the electric guitar, and certain things that were to be able to be amplified. Mm-hmm. With amplifiers and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just a, it's called resonation. So it's like you know, it's and I think it's I even saw it in the Bible somewhere, like the way something resonates. Mm -hmm. I, I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. I can't um, get it offhand, but um, if you go to eight, it says use media to promote and change mindset. Alice Bailey said the greatest channel uh, you need to use to change human attitude is media. Use the press, the radio, uh, TV, cinema. You can't tell today how successful they have been in implementing the plan over 50 years uh, via media, um, as well as advertising agencies, billboards, magazines. Who controls media? New Age. That's what they, they're giving you the answer. So much money is pumped into media and advertising, spreading of pornographic material and other sources sex outside of marriage is thrown on your face uh, 80 to 90 times than sex in marriage Promiscu promiscuity uh, is being promoted as natural you watch gay sex on tv in homes where children's minds are being neutralized uh, to sensitivity to these things uh, you wonder why newspapers tv etc do not record anything about Christian activities. Funny thing about David Rockefeller, you guys can look this up. He said himself uh, back in 1991, he thanked the media for their secrecy for 40 years. Because he said, unless the media was hiding their secrets, that they would have been exposed to the light. And they wouldn't have been able to set their new world order up under the light of scrutiny. You know, public scrutiny. So... This is a fact that David Rockefeller thanked the media for this. So you can't believe everything you see on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember telling people about the Lord and, you know, what the plan is, how Satan plans to come against them. And people would tell me, I don't believe that because there would be more people talking about it. It would be on the news. You know, so that tells you right there that they've thrown their mind out the window and just adopted the mind that they gave them. This is how programming becomes very effective when it comes to dealing with that. I'm going to run through this real quick. Create an, um, an interfaith movement.
This is probably going on in 90% of Christian churches. Alice Bailey wrote, promote other faiths to be at par with Christianity and break this thing about Christianity and being the only way to heaven. By, the, by that Christianity, we uh, will be pulled down and other faiths promoted. She said, promote the, um, promote the importance of man in uh, determining his own future and destiny, humanism. That's pretty much what it means. She said, tell me he has uh, the right to choose what he wants, what he wants to be, and he can make it happen. Uh, he has the right to determine his cause. Now, what did Satan tell Eve? Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So this plays right back into what was going on from the beginning. This takes God off the throne, off his throne. We have seen in our nation, South Africa, hosting a meeting of the interfaith movement in Cape Town, led by Dalai Lama. So, you know, again, this is what the Catholic Church is doing, trying to set up this one world religion by bringing everything together. So this is how they went about it. Uh, Ten, get governments to make all these law and get the church to endorse these changes. So, you know, every time that something was going on in the world, people looked to the church. The church at one point, even the political system, wouldn't come against. You know, at one time when they would set up laws, you had powerful men. And when I say men, I mean real men in the pulpits that would go and write letters to the president. They would set up their churches. They would come there and they would say, look, this law that you have, we're not going for it. And you know what? A whole bunch of communities stood behind these pastors because these men were standing for the Lord. The government would get scared and change the law back to what they wanted. But you see, they knew that they couldn't come against the body of Christ. So what did they try and do? Recondition it. They tried to get it to where even the body of Christ would be silent. Now they can go forward with their agenda. Now you've got pastors telling people, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Oh, you're going to be saved. The Lord will forgive you for anything. You know, and when you hear this stuff, you know, this makes you really wonder what's going on. Why some pastors are silent, why a lot of them are not talking about this stuff. You know, I really believe that a lot of them are not, you know, probably meat pastors. But then you have a lot of them that are silenced by their 501c3. If you talk about this, we're going to move you out of the system. So, you know, these are things where they try and condition us. So now we can actually go to, uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 2. But, you know, if let's just say what, what you talked about today, Laura, about Obama's speech and everything that he's got going on, you know, it's just how they said, get the church on board so that the church would not say anything. This is something that every pastor should be talking about, you know, because people actually believe in their pastors. You know, he's a major influence. So you would want to listen to your pastor and have him tell you, hey, guys, this is what's going on. Okay, it says here, we'll start in verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, 
for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas and preached Christ's gospel, and the door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior, or the Savior, um, of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and them that we are saved, and in them not perish. I mean that perish. Uh, to the one we are the savior, the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many uh, which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So, you know, regardless of what, again, I agree with your pastor when he talked about that our responsibility remains the same, regardless of what we have to deal with. But what we understand here is it's always a reflection on the church. When things are going on, it's about the church. We are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest he get an advantage. Now, I've been to places where I've discussed this stuff, and you know what people will say? That's a waste of time. You know, why talk about what the devil is doing? The Bible says here we're not to be ignorant of his devices, lest he get an advantage. What does that mean? It is possible for Satan to have an advantage over us. But, you know, we can't be so religious in mindset, there's no way that this can happen. You know, the Lord means for us to know everything that's in here and everything that's going on. Let's go to 1 Peter 4.17. It's at the back of the Bible. So First uh, Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So if judgment's going to begin at the house of God, then that means that the house of God needs to be correct. Because the Lord has given us his knowledge first, then it's supposed to branch out everywhere. So it's important that the church becomes correct because we're going to be judged according to what we're doing as far as the community and other things are concerned. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? That's an interesting thing. Yeah. The righteous themselves are scarcely be saved. That means that with all of our greatest righteousness, we're going to make it in by the skin of our teeth because of the fact that it's the Lord and his mercy and his spirit that makes us right. So we know if... if the sinner and the ungodly don't have a chance, and we're making it in scarcely, we ought to be spreading that truth to everybody so that others can make it into the kingdom. Mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as the body of Christ, as Christians, 
It's our responsibility. You know, because I do believe the Lord is going to look at us, you know, and say, you know what? There were a lot of people you could have brought the truth to when you didn't. Will that mean that you won't be saved? I don't think so. But I think that, you know, the Bible speaks about rewards upon what you do for the Lord. So you, you'll be saved, but there'll be no reward for you. So, you know, you want to be able to do the things that the Lord calls us to do because we're responsible. As a church, we are totally responsible. Let's go to Isaiah 56.10. Fifty-six nine. Everybody there? Almost. Okay. Yeah, I know them Bibles. <laughs> like the pages, because I don't even read them, so I know they're hard to like get through and separate. Right. It's like it's right here. It's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Verse nine. All ye beasts of the field come to devour. Yea, all ye beasts in the forest. Now this is talking about Satan's watchmen. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They, they all look to their own way, every one for his gain, uh, from every quarter. So you understand here that if you were to be a person that, you know, you had a watchdog and your watchdog was lying down, always slumbering, you know, never doing his job, how secure would you feel with him? If he's not telling you about stuff that's going on, you know, how could you consider this a good dog? He said they're dumb dogs, dogs that cannot bark, always lying down, loving to slumber. You know, and God's watchman says that, If you know something, and this is Ezekiel 33, he says, if you know something and you say nothing about it, you know, then that person's blood will be on your hands. So as a watchman, as a pastor, as a shepherd, you ought to keep your people informed of what the devil's devices are, Mm -hmm. you know, because you, you have to be, I believe in some ways, I believe some ministers can be milk ministers, but I think that pastors themselves should be able to have milk and meat. You know, you have to be qualified for that office. When God puts a man in the place in the place of a pastor, he puts a warrior there. He puts someone that's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Like Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You know, he lays down his life for his sheep. Mm-hmm. That's what makes Jesus a qualified shepherd. You know, but when you got these pastors that are not telling people stuff, I think in a lot of ways it's wrong because the Bible says it is. If they can't learn the truth from you, then who are they going to learn from? You're going to trust in this world that doesn't know God? You know, that's following Satan? You think about that. So there's a responsibility um, concerning some of these pastors. I think that there's a work that needs to be done. You know, let's go to, uh, let's see. Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, 6.
tell you, there's so much to read through this. I mean, you know, I probably should have done a two or three part study. I think that I'll introduce some of it, you know, for the other guys so they can catch up, you know, when they come on with wigs. But there's a lot of information here. Have you guys even heard of the um, Georgia Guidestones? Yeah. What their plan is? The, the, have you ever uh, heard of the Georgia Guidestones? I'm not too familiar with them. Okay, it's the Ten um, Commandments of the New World Order. You know, and these things are in Alberta, um, Alberton, um, Georgia. But I'm going to read this real quick before we go into it. Uh, this is number one. Maintain humanity under 500,000 and perpetual balance with nature. So you know that with this here, these people are nature, nature worshipers. And, you know, this is why they're talking about the whole global warming thing. This earth is not warming. Don't ever believe that lie. They'll even tell you, oh, we have food shortage going on. There's plenty of food that they just don't want certain people to have because this is the agenda. They don't want people learning the truth, you know, and it's really sad to think about. But the second is guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. So you know what that means. You know, they're talking about this whole evolution thing, natural selection, you know, favorite races making it through the, the survival of the fittest when the Lord intends for everybody to make it. Mm -hmm. So these people are, you know, choosing whichever groups uh, three. That's right. Absolutely. But there's a select few. You know who I heard that the elite are? is everybody that's not us. You know, it's them. And this is why they're doing the DNA test, because they want to see who's related to them, who's in their bloodline, because those are the people that they intend to save. Everybody else they consider useless eaters, mm -hmm. you know, unless you come into that world. And that's why they took our blood as a baby. Absolutely. This is why they give you a social security number and everything else. You know, your dental, your, um, you know, fingerprints and everything. It's not because they love you. You know, uh, unite humanity with a living, with a living new language. This is four. Uh, rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all these tempered, I mean, with tempered reason. Now, you know, this all sounds like what Alice Bailey was told by the Tibetan. It's the same setup, pretty much. Uh, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Now, you know, they're fair and just is what they say is fair and just. Right. It's got nothing to do with us. Let all nations rule um, internally, resolving um, external disputes in the world court. So there's going to be a world court. No more, um, you know, well, America handles their laws a certain way. There's certain laws in Texas and the United States and Germany and everywhere else. There's just going to be a world court that's going to control everything. Okay, um, let's see, seven. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. So they want to knock everything down to king and servant. You know, so th this is where they're going. No more of that other stuff. You're going to be what the king tells you to be. So now we're the pauper, we're the serfs, and they're the royalty. Uh, eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. So they're talking about, yeah, nature worship, Mother Gaia worship. You know, forget about man. 
And that's where they get these crazy animal activists and people that go crazy over certain things Mm -hmm. when they don't even acknowledge man. You know why they don't put salt down here in Oregon when there's big snowstorms, even though people crash? Oh, um, the deer and everything are attracted to it. We got to save the animals. So you can just go crashing and lose your life, but we got to keep nature and everything set up. Um, You guys would understand what these means if you ever seen the um, Agenda 21 uh, map. But the Agenda 21 map, remember how they got certain places for animals, farm animals and things like that. And then they're going to push the people into the little city areas where there'll be serfs and they'll enjoy the whole land as the elite. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's crazy. Uh, Where are we going? Uh, First Corinthians. Where am I? Uh, yeah, Second uh, Corinthians six. Let me get there real quick. Okay, six verse fourteen. Now this speaks against the dualism that they had earlier, that they were talking about. Okay, it says, uh, "Be ye not equally unequally yoked together." With unbelievers, for what fellowship hath have uh, righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, another name for Satan, or what part um, hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So when he says he'll dwell in them and walk in them, that actually talks about what we were talking about last week concerning the abomination of desolation. That's what that whole thing is as far as the Baphomet goat. It's an abomination of desolation. It's taking everything that is of God and bringing it into one thing, one big mess, to destroy God's image. You know, so that's one of the things that, um, you know, that that knocks out the whole dualism thing and what yin yang means and what, you know, they're trying to bring all this stuff together. Uh, Let's go to Ephesians 2, 2, because we're going to run through a lot of scripture right now. I know we're running short on time. time past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience understand uh, one thing to understand here with this is the greek word for air is like eros it means the dense immediate atmosphere that's just above us what people would call um have you guys ever heard of the akashic records But that's a realm that psychics claim that they draw their energy. There's an ether that's just above the globe where, if you notice, uh, we went into Daniel uh, 10 before, and we talked about the prince of Persia and the prince of Grisha. Remember there was an angel when Daniel was fasting that was coming to see Daniel. But he said, it took me 21 days to break through because the prince of Persia held me there. 
Okay, what he was speaking about concerning that was that so-called ether. Around this globe, there is a there, what they would call the second heaven. This is where Satan and his minions are. This is where these ascended masters dwell, where people draw their information. So around this earth is like a prison planet, which is the second heaven. Satan is no longer allowed in the third heaven. He's in the plane that's around the earth. I wish I had a picture of it. It's actually in your PowerPoint. That's why I wish I could. Yeah, with the Akashic Records. But it speaks about this realm. You know, that eros, that dense immediate atmosphere. They say, whom work of the children of disobedience? Who are the children of disobedience that Satan rules the world through? The people that we've been reading about all night that are coming up with this agenda to set up their new order. So this is what we're dealing with concerning, um, you know, principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this world. The spiritual wickedness in high places. This, this Akashic Records or this Eros is what they're referring to. So, you know, when he talked about the angel breaking through, or they call Satan the ruler of this world, he is truly the ruler of this world. Now, he can't stop prayer from going up, you know, or whatever, or the Lord's angels from interacting. But remember, there was a battle for this angel to reach Daniel because the prince of Persia was in the way that saw everything that was going on. So they, the showers. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I believe that. And, you know, this is where they try and intersect, you know, every little thing. I do want to read one thing, too, by uh, David Spangler. He's another U.N. guy. I know that name. You know, yeah. He's uh, been on the news and other things like that. Let's see. I want to pull this up because, you know, these people are serious. And these are people that really do believe that Satan is God. You know, they really think that he's someone that loves them. And in their deceived minds, they're going to rule in the heavens with him, which is why they have no regard for what goes on in this earth and people that are not them. These people call on him for real. They know who he is. I don't know if it's true, but John Todd said that um, he's been to the Rothschild Mansion. He's seen them set up 13 seats. You know, 12 of them sit at the table. And Lucifer himself, or Satan himself, manifests there and sits in the 13th chair. John Todd says he's witnessed this. Now, what he looks like, I don't know. Or maybe it's just a presence, you know, or a spirit there. But for whatever reasons, they're considered like the Rothschilds are gods. They run the Illuminati. They run everything. Between them is maybe the Akashic Records and Satan. So these people, if you look at that pyramid, those are all the people and families leading up to that whole satanic superpower that sits on the top. Okay, uh, Alice Bailey, I'm going to read this real quick too. She says, the new era is coming, the new ideals, the new civilization, the new models of life, of education, of religious presentation, and of government are slowly precipitating. And nothing can stop them. So these people even know, like the demons are speaking, they know that there's going to come a time, but it's not at the time that they say it is, because we're on God's timeline. By 1980, believe it or not, the New World Order was already supposed to be set up. They had an eight-year plan from 1972 to 1980 from what they planned to do. Well, you know, God cut them short, you know, because it's on God's time. But if we did more for the kingdom of God and we actually, you know, fought and told the truth and we were all prayerful and we all believed in the Lord, 
Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, you know, if my people, if God will, if they'll hear from the, if they call on the Lord, you know, and they repent of their sins, that the Lord will heal their land. It's not too late now. But think about trying to get all these people to do this. When, if you follow Alice Bailey's 10-step plan, they're all divided. You know, so they've got the church not, not telling the truth. You know, they've got families broken up. They've got the education system a mess. So imagine trying to pull everybody together to do this. And I think the one reason that the Lord is holding back is because of the prayers of the saints. Mm -hmm. People that are hoping that their children get saved. People that are hoping that their friends and other family members get saved. You know, so it's the prayers of the saints that's really holding this thing up. Yep. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find this thing with uh, David Spangler. It is shocking that any of us are even here since we were all raised with television. <laughs> that's the truth. And that's why I said it's miraculous intervention. Even with you guys saying that you were in, you know, the Jehovah Witness organization yeah. and you were still able to get out of that, you know, and the Lord, not just to get you out of that so you can go into the new age, you know, or so you can go in and be a Catholic or a Buddhist. You actually found the Lord in all that chaos. You get what I'm saying? That's miraculous intervention, because you know what I've heard a lot of Jehovah Witnesses do is that when they find out that they're in a false religion, they forget about God altogether because their heart is so broken from believing that they knew the true God. Mm -hmm. I've heard of a lot of them will turn away altogether and say, I don't want to believe in anything. Yeah. Why? Because the Jehovah Witnesses thing runs so close that, you know, you feel like you're part of a family. Certainly these people couldn't deceive me. They're bringing me the truth. But these people are, are lying. And I don't even think they're lying, the ones on the lower levels. The ones on the lower levels actually believe what they're being taught. The higher up, the, the track society, those people are Freemasons that know the truth in this whole thing. And I think certain elders might be too, you know, in on it. David Spangler, here it is. David Spangler admits that Lucifer, the being that New Age's honor, uh, and the light of Lucifer is the light of God, quote, the true light of Lucifer cannot be seen through sorrow, through darkness, through rejection. The true light is this great being can only be recognized when one's own eyes can see the light of the Christ, the light of the inner, the inner sun. Lucifer works within each of us, trying to bring it to wholeness. And as we move into a new age, which is the age of man's wholeness. Now, when he said that they can be seen by the light, that goes right back to the picture that we showed with the Baphomet goat with the eye open. This is what they're talking about. When you reach that enlightenment, then you'll, be un you'll understand who Lucifer is. With their enlightenment, I bet you will. But uh, let's see. Let's see, uh, man's wholeness. Each of us in some way is brought to that point which I term the Luciferic initiation, the particular door and through which uh, the individual must pass if he is to come fully into the presence of his light and his wholeness. Lucifer comes to give us the final gift of wholeness. This is where Satan talks about ye shall be as gods. 
You know, this is what they mean, you know, complete, humanist, okay, uh, wholeness. Lucifer comes to give us the final gift of wholeness. If we accept it, uh, then he is free and we are free. That is the Luciferic initiation. It is one that many people now and in the days ahead will be facing, for it is an initiation into the new age. It is an initiation of leaving the past and moving into uh, the, the shedding of our guilts and fears and anxieties, our needs, our temptations, and becoming whole and at peace because we have recognized our inner light and the light that enfolds us, the light of God. So these people actually believe that Satan is God. You know, this is what we're fighting against. So I believe a lot of these people are deceived. I don't think that many of them, if he reveals himself to them as that Sanat Kumra character, he doesn't look like he's too bad of a being. You know, but I'm sure this is what they see. They don't see a dragon with two horns and hooves giving them orders. I mean, right away, you would know what you were dealing with. So, of course, they want to stop that from going on. Uh, let's see here. I want to get to some meat before. Uh, let's go to Ephesians um, 4 real quick. Four and fourteen. You there already, Andrew? <laughs> oh, that's cool. Okay. Uh, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slayer of men, the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is, at, which, which is the head, even Christ. So we understand here that this is what the full armor is for again. You know, not being blown around by every wind of doctrine. Which is why even though I read those books, it was the miraculous intervention of the Lord that brought me back to the true word. Because I remember how smug I was in 2011 when I thought I had discovered the Lord. Well, I discovered the false Christ in the beginning because of the fact that I was trying to link the Bible with all these things that I heard on ancient aliens. You know, all the stuff they said about Jesus, I started preaching. I was like a parakeet in them days, you know, and I heard something, I repeated it right away, you know, as if it was true. Never looking into the Bible and seeking it. Why it's dangerous to go into other doctrine and seek other things, if you're in the spirit of the Lord and then you're trying to teach about it, that's different expose it. But when you find yourself like trying to equate them all, you're going to find yourself blown around by every wind of doctrine. And how much does it take to go off course? Less than an eighth of an inch. If you continue to do this, that gap will get wide. And before you know it, you're not following the Lord at all. You're all over the place. So I believe in the doctrine of the Lord. I believe that the Lord taught me the other doctrines just so I could expose them and bring forth truth. But it was his miraculous intervention because I was lost. I even told people one day I was reading The Art of War at work, and a woman said to me, oh, um, oh, you're reading The Art of War? And I guess she was a Christian because I said, yeah, it's like the Bible, but it's got more action. Now, how do I know? I don't even read the Bible. 
You know, but I'm calling this, like the Bible, but more action in it, when the book is only about taking advantage of people. That's all the art of war is for, taking advantage. There's no peace in that. It's finding another way to rule over another individual. You know, so um, here, because I know we're running short on time, I want to go into uh, Daniel 7 real quick. I know I was there earlier. No, I was in Daniel 2. Let's go to Daniel 7. So, you know, we have to be on our guards. And like I said, if Christianity isn't the way, if Jesus isn't the way, then why do they fight so hard against him? I mean, they attack the education system and everything. You can't even trust this. Nope. Well, and it's the only name that ruffles feathers. It is. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it truly is. You know, I mean, I've even um, tried to date after I've come to the Lord. And I've heard, um, you know, some women say to me, um, oh, I, you know, I understand. I heard from some of, you know, your friends, you're a Christian. And I'm like, yeah. And, oh, well, um... I don't know if this is going to work out. And I'm like, well, why is that? Oh, because um, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, adios. You know, that's my thing. Because if you're divided in spirit, you can't be with someone. You can have the flesh together. You guys can find each other attractive. You can have the soul. You both have played, you know, hockey when you were young. You both played piano. You both sang in the choir. Okay, you have that. When you get to the spirit, that's a different realm altogether. Now you find out who's who versus what. And that's why the Bible says, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? And you only agree in the spirit. If you don't know what's in the spirit, you can have A and B. By the time you get to C, that's like what that saying is. This is an A and B conversation, but you can see your way out of it. Well, that's what happens. You see your way right back out of it if the two don't go together. You are joined by spirit. And spirit is thicker than blood. Daniel 7, 7. After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with its feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So, you know, what we understand here is... Um, you know, they're talking about the final kingdom. You know, what they plan for the new world order and what's going to go on. So let's go to Revelation 13. And, uh, you know, these are the same two beasts. Everybody knows it. Uh, I want to show you guys a picture, too. And, you know, I heard an interesting topic concerning this, concerning Nimrod. They actually spoke of Nimrod being, um, you know, like the... Uh, Around the time, he was near the uh, the Garden of Eden. When he built the Tower of Babel, they claimed that it wasn't too far from the Garden of Eden. Now, they talked about him trying to build a tower whose top may reach into heaven. Dan and I talked about this once, and I read an interesting article about there was some guy, Lieutenant Byrd, from World War II. When he did his expedition in um, Antarctica... He said that they went to the, you know, southern region to see as far as they can go. 
he claims. Now, I don't know if this is true or what. He claims that they ran into a dome. Okay, they ran into something that looks like a glass wall or something see-through that they couldn't get through. And um, he claimed that it was like something that kept them from going beyond. And um, I read an article after that when I looked that up, but they were talking about the reason for the nuclear warheads and what they were doing from the 1950s on to, I think, the 1980s, that they fired several tons of nukes to try and break what they claimed they found was a dome that was around the earth, like a firmament, you know? And I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, I found some ancient pictures of uh, some of the other cultures around the world, but they claimed that this is what it looked like. You guys can pass that around. But they claimed that the stars and everything else is inside of the firmament, including the sun. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but they claim that the UN, I don't have a, a picture of it now, but the United Nations actually has a, um, the, the true map of what the world looks like. Have you ever seen the UN symbol? It looks like it got all the continents close together. Well, they claim that the one that we have is not a real one. They claim that the real one is the one that they have and how when planes fly that they have somehow altered the... Um, not the altitude, but in the southern hemisphere, they claim that they rigged, you know, um, what it's, right. Did you ever hear about that? No. But they claim that they rigged it so that way it looks like your flight is longer than it is and it's going in a straight line. But they claim that you're going sometimes when you get, reach the southern hemisphere in circular motion, you know, to try and deter people. Dan said that he done the math himself and he agreed with what the guy was saying that there's no way that it should take 16 hours to get to China. He's saying if they're going in a straight line, that they're way closer than they say they are. They also claim that there's no real map of the Earth because they claim that you can't get high enough, and they knew about this, to actually take a picture of it. Now, is this true? I don't know. But I will uh, show you guys another thing that I saw that's interesting that I'm going to study in the next study. But this is interesting also concerning what the Bible says with this information. You know, we're going to go into that one day because it talks about how they are, uh, let's see. No, this isn't all of it. But I guess it's that picture there. But they're talking about how it means that the firmament, you know, when the Bible spoke of it, that it actually did have a, you know, a, a dome, mm -hmm. you know, or something about that. So I'm going to research that and look further into it because that would explain what I've been kind of talking about all along concerning the host of heaven, you know, and what's really out there. When they claim that they went on the moon, but then you see when they when they show visions of the moon that you got the, the uh, what was it, the uh, flag is blowing and there's no air out there. So, you know, it makes you wonder what's really going on concerning this. Didn't they say something about a shadow as well? Yeah. It was a shadow. Right. Because when you think about the Tower of Babel, it said that Nimrod's plan was to go in to where his top may reach, the top may reach into heaven. So it was a gate to God. That's what Babel means. Bob means gate. L means God. But it also means confusion. 
But the thing is, is like, think about that. You know, if there was a way to get up there, then that would explain why he was trying to do it right where the supposed Garden of Eden was. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? Because when they talked about the two cherubim that were placed on each end of the garden, it makes you wonder if the, the uh, place itself where the Lord was able to fellowship with Adam and Eve was a gateway between heaven and earth. Now, this is what I'm researching. I'm not calling thus saith the Lord, but it's something to really look at because through science, there's a lot of things that they attempt to do, you know? So it would only make sense that they're trying to get into the heavens. Satan said that he would go back there, you know? So it makes you wonder, like, if he was put someplace that he was no longer able to go. I don't know. All right, so from here, we're going to go into uh, Revelation 13. I know you guys are like, why is he bringing that up now? You know, but I thought it was interesting when I saw it. Like, man, you know, this could be, you know, they're on to something. Because they've probably lied about everything that they've yep. taught us. I'm sure of it. Because they're even talking about a flat earth. You know, they're claiming that, you know, for, for um, thousands of years, cultures believed in a flat earth. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until about the 17, 16, 1700s that they claimed that the earth was round. You know, so it, it makes you wonder, and that was around the time of Galileo and Darwin and all their guys that they, that they used to offset things. And I'm not saying that that's true, but it makes you really wonder what's going on. Yeah. Well, like we've discussed in the past, if Satan can deceive everybody, then it's easier for his plan to come into action. You know, with like going into outer space, all these space movies and everything that they're doing with that and like we discussed earlier with the, the movies about blowing the asteroids out and everything and then the church is being bought out. It even and makes I, you wonder if CERN is to remove that dome if there is one. Mm -hmm. If there is one. It makes you wonder if that's what they're trying to work on to open up. Now we can call that a portal because no one has ever seen it. But the thing is, is like it makes you wonder if there is something there. And I'm not saying there is. But, you know, it, it's just um, one of those things where, you know, you look in Joshua, they talk about Joshua commanding the sun to stand still. And in order per to perpetuate this lie, they would have to let us know that we were all primitive. You guys are all primitive. You don't know anything. We evolved mm -hmm. into what we have. And I think that early man had a real understanding of what was going on, you know. So I think that people were deceived up until that point. I don't know about the flat earth, but I know that every culture believed in it before they claimed that they were blasting off into space. Because remember, even when I first started talking to Sarah about the Lord, what was the thing you said to me that kept you from knowing the truth? You said there are thousands of galaxies out there. Who's to say that this is true? Mm -hmm. Those were your words. Well, there could be planets everywhere. I don't know if there. So well, then who is God of, of the other planets? You know, all these other things going on. So the Bible doesn't talk about this. You see how they tried to alter the way people think. Because if you think that this universe is bigger than the, the, the biblical account, then there's a lot to, you know, there's a lot to reconsider here. Maybe the Bible way is not the way. And I believed on life on other planets. You did. I remember that. She made me angry, too, when I heard that. But I was, like, trying to tell her the truth. And she was just so into her thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe it could be. And I was like, all right, well, I have whatever. To explain all that after the study because it's 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Revelation 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads were the name of blasphemy. Now, you know that everybody knows what the ten horns are. They're ten kings, mm -hmm. you know. Okay. Uh, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion. So, you know, the leopard was considered like Alexander. There's your Greek influence. There's your humanism. There's your philosophy. You know, then you have um, the mouth of a, the feet of a bear, which means that this kingdom is going to be exceeding great, huge. Just like the Persian army was. The Persian armies, they were known to outnumber the people that they fought against. You know, they were massive armies. And then it says the mouth of a lion, meaning it's going to have some Babylon influence because the lion is a symbol of Babylon, but it's also going to be like the Antichrist, a mouth speaking great things. Okay. Um, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So, you know, it's not the men that built this whole society. It's the dragon himself. And we've done that whole study about wherever you go in the world, people either, ancient cultures either worship the dragon or the serpent. Buddha had a serpent around his neck. The Chinese, the dragon is their most powerful symbol. Mm -hmm. You look up the Mayans, Kukukan, a feathery flying serpent, like a dragon. You know, you look up the Aztecs, Katsikwato and all the rest. It's either the dragon or the serpent that you find most of these nations will say, or these uh, civilizations, they would say, hey, the serpent gave us knowledge. That's where they get the whole Prometheus thing. You know, we're talking about, well, man had nothing until the light that Satan brought in the Garden of Eden or whatever else that they were doing. Okay, so uh, three, and I saw one of his heads as they were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Now, you know, the deadly wound being healed is talking about, one, we're in the revised Roman Empire. Remember, the Roman Empire never died. In the last kingdom, it's all Rome, which means it's going to be run by the Roman Empire and the Catholic Church. The one world religion, which the Catholic Church is working on, the one world government, which they're setting up. That's almost done. So remember, when it says one of his heads were wounded, they were talking about the time that the Roman Empire fell apart, but it was never conquered. You know, it just branched off and it came back. Uh, four, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. That's three and a half years. This is the time of the Antichrist. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now, you know, what this beast is talking about is pretty much what I've been reading all along. They're pushing Jesus down and they're lifting up their own society. So it's well on its way. Seven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given, um, given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. New world order, new world religion. This is what they're working on. Okay, um, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life 
of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this tells you now, if you're a believer and you're in Christ, you're one of the people that are not going to go along with this agenda. Okay, if you're outside of Christ, you're going to be those that, you know, the enemy is going to come against. Nine, if any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. This doesn't mean protecting yourself. This is speaking of if this is the way you lived, then this is the way you'll die. It doesn't mean protecting your family or, you know, something like that. Okay, um, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spake like a dragon. Now, if you notice when we were reading all these things by Alice Bailey and Dejwa Cool and the rest of them, they were always talking about, you know, the love and the light of Lucifer, man's enlightenment, these sweet, seductive terms that would make everyone believe in peace. Mm -hmm. But they're saying that he looks like a lamb, so this guy is going to be peaceful looking, but he's going to speak like a dragon, just like his father, Satan, which is what they've done. They've denied Christ all night. Everything that we read, you know, this is what you're hearing. Uh, and he exerciseth all, exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth um, and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So naturally, you know, this new religion, because this is the false prophet, is going to get everybody on track to worship the beast. This is what Hollywood is for. This is what the music world is for. This is what TV is for. This is the 10-step plan given by Alice Bailey to try and break down the system, break down the people, to have them all worship the beast. Because if you notice, every religion in this world is all on board with a new world religion. They're all trying to bring everybody together. There's only one that has a problem with that. And those are the people of God. Because, you know, and this is what separates us from all the outsiders, is that our Lord told us that these things would come. Because he didn't want us being deceived. There's no other religion that even discussed this. They talk about their way, but, you know, little do people know all of their ways are the same. There's not much difference between a Muslim and a Catholic. There's not much difference between a Buddhist and a Hindu. They all believe the same. If, if they have certain things that are different, there's a core doctrine that they all fall to. Okay, so they're all looking for their Messiah. Our Messiah came, he left, he gave us the Holy Ghost, and he's coming back. But our Messiah is the one that told us about, you know, I came, you know, and, and, and you received me not, but another will come, and him you will receive. Because he was speaking of the one to come. So, you know, our Lord didn't leave us ignorant. So I say on top of all of that, our God is God, Amen. not these false prophets, not these people that want to talk about what they got planned. What they have planned and what they're telling people about is all that the, the Lord has told us already was going to happen. So these demons don't have much more knowledge than you. Mm -hmm. Daniel was written in 550 B.C. that spoke about this coming kingdom. I mean, now they are wiser to some degree because they're in the spirit. But the Lord evened it out by letting us know what's coming. And there's nothing that compared to, to our God telling us the truth and everyone else being left in the dark trying to join. Mm -hmm. Okay, so his wisdom is for all time. Uh, 13. 
and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now he's trying to be, this false prophet is going to be like another Elijah, calling fire down from heaven. You know, but, um, well, let, let me keep reading. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which uh, had the wound which had the wound by the sword and did live. Now interesting point here is these miracles are going to be false most likely. They'll probably be technological. There may be things that they do have, but they won't be the real power of God. So this is how they're going to deceive people. And this is why John says, you know, if you don't know every spirit, to test the spirits to see which comes from God. Mm -hmm. I think that's, a, what is it, First John 2? Let's go to First John 2 real quick. I just want to make this point before we get out of here. Well, now they have the holograms, and they're going to start touring. That's right. Singers where you pay money to watch a fake hologram. That's right. I believe it's First John two sixteen. No, that's not it. This is talking about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Um, oh man, I wish I would have held on to it, but. No, it's John for sure. I think it's First John one five. I don't know. Well, that's my not being prepared. But he no, says the, to test the spirits to know that they're right. Yeah, to know that the um, which comes from God because those times are going to be so deceptive, and we're going to know so much as far as, we're going to see so much that it will deceive the very elect if we're not careful. So the the one way that we can know. If, if Jesus is God, okay, or, or these, these spirits come from Jesus, is because of the fact that you're going to ask them, oh, who is Jesus to you? And one thing you know about these spirits, we didn't get a chance to get into all the information, but these spirits will tell you the one that you call Christ. Oh, he's actually one of the masters. He's not, you know, um, he's overshadowed by Maitreya, by all these other people, because they can't talk about the Lord that way. They don't have that love and admiration for him. There's no respect for him. So they're never going to tell you that Jesus is Lord or that Jesus came to the earth. Or, you know, or that's how you, you're able to try the spirits. Or that they're, he died and rose again. That's right. They're going to deny that. Go ahead. First John 4. 1 John 4. Yeah. Well, we're past that now. You can read it, though, if you're on it. Yeah. Beloved, leave not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, Christ is come in the flesh is, is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the, world, in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof have ye heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. It's already in the world. So this is what these people are living on is the spirit of Antichrist. Mm -hmm. You know, things that will deny Christ. And I'll tell you, when they talk about another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit, guys, I discovered something that's going to blow your mind. But one of these ascended masters that claims to be Jesus, he's not the real Jesus. 
Okay, he's another spirit. He's probably in the other path. But um, I don't know if you guys had ever heard of Rodrigo Borgia. I think that's his name in um, Italian. Um, he was one of the popes, the Borg Borgia. It's it's B O R G I A. That's the last name. But they Borgia? were one. Huh? You talking about the Borgia popes? Yeah, you know about them. Okay. Now those guys were killers. Even the Godfather movie was made because of the Borgia family. This is what they um, did. Well, most people don't know it, but no one had an image of Jesus until Rodrigo Borgia decided to uh, make an image of his son, who was Caesar Borgia. And uh, this is Caesar Borgia, and this is Jesus Christ. This is who, this is the image that we see today that we refer to as Jesus. And this guy, Caesar Borgia, was a murderer, and he was a, um, a poisoner. You know, he poisoned people. Now, if you look at that image, um, I think it's in the list of the Ascendant Masters that we have here, but one of them is called Sananda. I think it's in another picture that we have. But this image is called Sananda. You guys can look it up. His name is Esau Sananda Emmanuel. You guys look this up, but this is how they manifest. I mean, this is how he manifests before the people. Now, the whole thing is not to talk about what Jesus looks like. The point is, is that I believe that when this false Christ comes, I believe that this is the one that's going to come because this is what they want people to believe that he looked like. Everyone's going to be able to identify with this face here. But if you look at those pictures of Caesar Borgia, this is where they got that thing. And it actually talks about that in the Apocrypha. That's another study. But the point is, is that we can't be deceived with looks. We can't be deceived with what we've heard. We got to go according to testing and trying the spirits. But look up the Borgia family, and this is where the Godfather uh, story came from. You know, so that's why he wanted to deceive the world by painting a picture of his son. You know, like basically saying Jesus was a murderer, a poisoner. You know, so they tried to deface excuse me, whatever Jesus looked like. Uh, okay, let's see. I think we're at 14. No, we're at 15. And he had power to give life, oh, I read that part, unto the image of the beast. You know, I believe as far as this image is concerned, is going to be just what we were reading all along. You know, when we've been talking about this image being corrupted, when we go to the Baphomet, the goat of Mendez, part beast, part human, part man, part machine, you know, I think that this is going to be the final abomination of desolation, receiving that mark to where your DNA is altered and you can't be saved because you yourself will become a beast. You know, so I believe that this is what they mean by the image being able to speak, both speak and do the other things. Okay. Um, and it says in 15, um, the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as uh, would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. <laughs> and he causeth all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their, in their hands or in their foreheads. The King James Version is the only one that uses a technological term from 
you know, back in Paul's day or John's day, when it talked about in the hand or in the forehead, that's a technological term. All the other Bibles say on. There's a big difference between on and in. I think the Lord understood that there would come a time where, where chips would be able to be implantable. So this is what the this is what the Koine Greek actually says. You know, it says in the hand or in the forehead. Okay, um, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. You know, like I said, I've given, um, you know, I think the Lord has shown me in some ways about the 666, how man was born on the sixth day, he was created. And then there was the seventh day, which talked about, you know, the Lord resting when his work was complete. You know, I believe that six is going no longer than just body and soul. Mm -hmm. I think when you get into the spirit, that's when you're a thousand percent, 100 percent. You cut down one-third. If man is made of three parts, if he's made of body, soul, and spirit, and his spirit is not with God, then you have body and soul under a beast. Now, we know before we've all come to the Lord, we were like beasts. We had no conscience, no understanding of what the Lord was about. We lived our lives, might is right. I'll do what I feel. Like, uh, what's his name? Alistair Crowley says, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is what you understood before you came to Christ. Yep. But if you take that percentage of three and you cut it down to two, two out of three, 66.6%. .6%. Now, do that, is that the only meaning? No. But I believe that man will be triple what he is. Or his body, soul, and his spirit will only be at a six and never at the seven, which is God conscious. So I think that that's what the 666 means, and that's what it's going to play out to. Yep. So, you know, so... Um, you know, what I, what I sent this for, and like I said, it didn't go in the order that I wanted to because there's so much information, and I should have known that. I probably should have set it off in parts. But the thing is to understand is that Satan is the ruler of this world. This system itself is set up to count out the Christian. And this is something where we got to get stronger in our Lord. We have to seek the Holy Ghost. We have to be endowed with power, you know, of the Lord to combat this. Because they have these supernatural things coming against us. They've come against us in education. They've come against us, you know, through laws and rules and things that we are going to have to be unplugged at some point, you know, to be on the side of what the Lord calls us to do. So this is what it's all about. The one world government, the one world religion, the Antichrist, the false prophet, all these things are conditioning to worship Satan. If we go to, we don't have time to go into Daniel 11. But if you guys read it in your spare time, it talks about the Antichrist introducing us to a strange God that only he knows. So who do you think that strange God is that the Antichrist is going to introduce you to? It's going to be Satan himself. He's going to come down as some type of savior. Well, this, this Antichrist is going to point you to these so-called ascended masters, these fallen angels that we believe are, you know, that they believe are gods. But go to Daniel 11, but you, you'll be able to read that where it says he'll introduce a strange God. You know, it's not going to be a God that anybody has known in their time. You know, this guy is going to it's going to disregard from his heritage. He's going to, you know, introduce it. So.
You know, that's the whole thing today. Um, in some ways, I wish I would have done it better because there was just so much information that I threw a lot out there. But we got to understand that this world is not for us. You got people that are sitting in the United Nations. You got presidents. You got all these people, education, that are against us. If you're going to do education, you're going to be a doctor or whatever it is, that's fine. But don't <coughs> buy in. Don't buy into the system. You can learn all that you can learn. But understand, this world is ruled by Satan. And that's what keeps you unplugged. If you think that somehow Satan's going to have his side and the Lord's going to have his people and somewhere you're going to sit in the middle, it's not going to happen. He said both small and free, I mean, <laughs> um, bond and free, you know, um, you know the saying, but he's going after everybody. So everybody's going to have to choose a side. Don't believe that somehow you're going to sit in the middle and somehow it's not going to affect you. You're going to have to choose one or the other because that's who this whole battle is about. It's the Lord versus Satan. That's it. You know, and we know that we have him. We know who's going to win this. We know um, that we're going to be set free. So, you know, we, we can't be troubled by this. Read your Psalms. I'm even thinking about doing a study on Psalms because I talk enough about, you know, destruction of the world and all these things happen. You know, we should learn things that can help us to uplift the Lord, you know, to understand our authority and power in the Lord. Psalms are important. You know, I quote several every morning just to get going. So uh, from here, I guess, if anyone has any questions or anything they want to add, we can pray out. I just wanted to add that yeah. we can already feel the division now. Oh, can you yeah. imagine walking around people with a chip? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you yeah. won't be able to do anything without acknowledging the Lord. And I mean, it's, I mean, or, or, the, or the enemy. There's no in-between in this. You know, Buddhism and all these other things, they're all a, a prop. Yep. They're all a setup to bring you back. If you join any of them, they're only conditioning you to accept the Antichrist. That's all that they can do. Jesus says that his way is straight. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the light. You know, he said those that he's the door. And anyone who's ever come in any other way were thieves and robbers. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is how these people got in. So I won't deny that they have supernatural ways and means. There's things that they can do. But they didn't come in through the right way. You know, so they're falling right into the enemy. You know, so. All right, well, we'll pray out. Go ahead, Sarah. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight, and I want to thank you for another opportunity that we had to study your word, Lord, and another opportunity that we had to know the truth as you have revealed it to us. Lord, I want to thank you for everything that you have done for us in this ministry. Lord, how you are leading it, how you are guiding it, and how you are directing it. Lord, but I pray that you would be with us in our lives individually that we will study your word, that we would study to show ourselves the truth so we can take this information that we have received and we can give it to others with spiritual discernment. Lord, I pray that whatever things are keeping us from having a true relationship with you, whatever things are a veil or whatever things, Lord, are just not right in our lives that we have not given to you, I pray that we would so we can have that good relationship with you, that right relationship with you, Lord. So you can speak to us. So you can share your secrets with us, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for everything that you have done for us. 
Lord, I want to thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. I want to thank you for never walking away from us, for never breaking your promise with us, never turning your back on us, never leaving us wanting or without. Lord, I pray that your hands would be in this ministry, that you would bless it. Lord, I pray that others would be able to come. I pray that you would provide that way. Lord, I pray that you would show us what you would have us to do, what you would have us to study, so we can eventually, Lord, teach a lesson ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct each and every one of our lives, Lord, that we stay humble, that we give in to more prayer and fasting, that we seek you in all things, Lord. I pray that you would keep us open, that you would keep our minds open, Lord, so we can be receptive. I pray that you would guide us and direct us, direct us each and every day, Lord, that we would be out there wanting to win souls for your glory, Lord. I pray that you would build us up every day. I pray, Lord, that you would help us understand the spiritual warfare that we must fight in, that we must partake in, Lord, but we have to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we do have to take on the full armor of God. Lord, I pray that you would watch over us in this evening. Give us all safety of travel, and I pray that you would bring us back next week. Guide us and direct us this evening, I pray, Lord. Lead us into your truths. Lead us into all truths, Heavenly Father. Be with us. I pray that we would want your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord, that we just not have faith, but we have the gifts of faith, Lord, that eventually we do open blind eyes, open deaf ears, raise the dead, heal the sick, Lord. These are the things that we need to be doing eventually if we truly believe in you. Lord, I do again thank you for this ministry. Thank you for everyone who came tonight. Bless us, Lord, I pray. If anyone in here tonight needs your hand of healing upon their lives or upon the lives of their family, I pray that you would be with them. Be with Derek's father. Be with my dad. Be with anyone else, Lord, who needs that hand of healing upon their life. Watch over us this evening, I pray, Lord. Guide us and direct us, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Yeah, I mean, it was just way too much information to just try and get it all in one shot and I think the more I talked and tried to get into it the more I realized it like man you know like I haven't even scratched the surface of what a lot of this stuff is but I think we got to the core of certain things you know how the pyramid is built you guys hang on to that because I'm sure you're going to need it for the studies that goat of Mendez that's where it's all headed this is what they're bringing it back to this is what we read and this is where it's going so, you know, we kind of started from the end first, but, you know, we brought it back around, so. Well, I just read on the BBC that they're making this the age of virtual reality. Oh, yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.